From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya, it is episode 90 which means it's a classic Space Brains film and tonight we are looking at science fiction film The Blob, came out in 1958. In today's episode we'll look at the ins and outs of narrative the uh, what we consider to be the good bits of the blob, and also I seem to be really now thinking of a script, which is weird. Sorry, because cameras are on me. Cameras on you? It's too hard. <laughs> okay, well I suppose that's another thing here. Episode ninety is our experimental video episode. We are. Got Hopefully, we will get better. Three cameras on us at once, which is weird. Indeed, a lot so, of eyeballs. So we've got The Blob, and this is, of course, your spoiler warning. If you've not seen The Blob, I mean, it's been out since 1958. What's your excuse, really? I don't know, I don't know what their excuse Go back is. and watch the film, and then join back in, because we're going to cover all the spoilers. We are. The Blob was directed by Ivan Yeworth uh, and written by Kay Linaka and Theodore Simonson, based on a story by Ivan H. Milgate. What was your number one takeaway from The Blob? My number one takeaway from The Blob is that it has... Oops. Keep going. My number one takeaway from The Blob <laughs> is that it's not a recent phenomenon that kids are played by elderly gentlemen. So, in this one, Steve McQueen plays a 17-year-old teenager and he does look suitably young. But I have seen 17-year-olds and they don't look like Steve McQueen. <laughs> no, they do not look like he Steve McQueen. He was 28 playing this one. Yeah, right. It, this does remind me of the OC where oh, I can't remember the, the name, character or the actor, but mm. it was a 27-year-old. Yeah, and in Mean Girls, that movie, which is nothing to do with science fiction, I know that... She's gone on. She's had a great movie career over the years and the sci-fi film The Time Traveller's Wife. Um, her name is just blanking on me right now, but she was 28 when the rest of them like were 18. So three of the girls were 18 and she was 28. And really, if you look at it, they don't look any different. Impressive. I mean, you go back to the movie Grease. Yeah. The, uh, they were all meant to be teenagers, but... Yeah, they were well <laughs> they were. They were not. I know. Teenagers. I know. But anyway, there we go. It's interesting to see in this one here, there's a, a whole bunch of teens. This is one of the first teen horror films you're going to come across. Prior to, in fact, we've done Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We have. And that was centred primarily on, like, a doctor, uh, you know, a, a learned and... Um, fully grown human adult, <laughs> you know, as you get. He's sensible, uh, well-respected. When he spoke, people listened. Mm. Um, yeah, he was the and, authoritative 
figure, wasn't he? And, that, and so. this, this was not uncommon mm. of movies of the time, of course. Uh, the difference, though, of course, with The Blob is we've gone straight to Steve McQueen, who's playing a 17-year-old, and his buddies who are, you know, yahoos at drag race and carry on. <laughs> they go to spooky midnight screenings. Midnight spooky Spook films, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know what a spooky film is. I, yeah. I forgot what the name of the film was they were screening at the time, but it was kind of a bit generic. Uh, it, it included with Bela Lugosi. Yeah. Which, I don't know, that's not actually a film. That's an actor. So I don't yeah. know why that would say that, but okay. Uh, there, there you go. So that's my number one takeaway. Geriatrics playing teenagers, not <laughs> uncommon. Not uncommon at all. So it's very common for Hollywood to stick the older people into those roles anyway. So, But normally a bit like Mean Girls, the trick can be to put young people, actual teenagers, uh, next to an older person. Dawson's Creek, good example. You know, again, mm. sort of younger girls, older guys kind of get away with it, apparently. Yeah, it's, it's a bit... Well, if you look at your basic... 17 year old boy they're very young looking they i look think as young. adults we forget how yeah. very youthful your basic 16 17 year olds i was jumping on the train and commuting with the uh kids going to tafe so they're you know 18 19 yeah, yeah. they finished year 12 but they still just i was just looking at them going they just like did i was that i mm. anyway i was really worried there was these little kids going to tafe and then I saw some photo of me when I was 26. Mm. I could have played a teenager. <laughs> yeah. This photo of yeah. me looked, yeah, my wife saw it. I had my first motorbike and she looked at it and she went, oh, is that when you are in high school? <laughs> she says, no, that was six months before I met yeah. you. <laughs> 27. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Uh, anyway, that's, it's an interesting and storied thing. But uh, let me ask you, was this a movie of hope? Oh, is it a warning mm. or an experiment? It is a warning. Be warned, children. Be warned, teenagers. Be warned of your promiscuity, as they might say, or your crimes against humanity, and something like the blob will come and punish you. It's pretty... I mean, again, we'd have to trace back, and if you're out there listening, you can let us know, when did that become the genre element of sort of horror because this film is a horror sci-fi, right? Mm, mm. It, it crosses those boundaries, but straight away people are sinning early in the film and they're punished by the blob. And that became such a horror trope, doesn't it? That, that traditional put teenagers out at Camp Crystal and they're having sex and then they get punished by the serial killer. Um, it's the same here. So, the Blob is this unknown monster that comes to town from outer space randomly, um, but if you prod and poke it, it's then unleashed onto us. So it's that good old example of horror writing. And I'd really, I mean, we need to kind of get to the bottom of when did that start? Is it before films? Is it horror stories have always had that? Like humans doing I think, something wrong? I think there's a certain amount of that. I'm, you know... And in the in the, the repercussions blog, of it, isn't a lot it? of the the punishment really is more to do with um, not listening, not paying attention, not following um, good ideas. Yeah, mm. so you know the doctor dies mm. because he doesn't take things seriously. Yeah, um, there's there's people in the movie theater that don't come out when the the 
the horns are played and the, the sirens go off. So all the teenage kids who are just not listening to what's going on die. Yeah, uh, and I mean, that that is something that I kind of thought of exactly what you're saying there, that I think in a post-war, you know, the, again, we talk about this is 1957, 1958, the film came out. The, I don't know if you noticed, I think, is it the police station? There's literally a calendar that says 1957 on 1957, it. 1957, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, well, that, that um, mean cop was mentioned about uh, being the war, you know, yeah. They, yeah, yeah. And I think... For his war record, whatever yeah, that meant. Yeah, and there was another... the. One of the fathers or the teacher or something who who also was like post-war um, and that when they ring all the sirens, there's also the guy with the different hats and he's like, yes. he's, he was a soldier. I think he's the other one that's a soldier. And um, But they keep also, there's a, so there's that. So there's literal characters in here that have been to war, but there's also... Um, they mention like monsters. They kind of define monsters three or four times. Like they say, "Oh, the, there's a the guy that runs the bar says we get monsters in here all the time." Yes, or we deal with monsters all the time. The police officer says, "There's no monsters in here." Like sarcastically, yeah. and he says, "Like you know, we we have to deal with the real monsters in society, you know, because they're police officers." And although the film is kind of a little bit naive, I think overall, there's those lines and. The concept, there's those lines of the monsters are in our society. We don't need a monster like the blob. We mm. already have monsters. That then, that results in humans in this story. We don't react to someone who is telling us that there is a monster sort of like right underneath your noses. Like, we, do we believe this teenager? And the characters in here don't. And I think there's a connection there to, you know, the, the severity maybe of World War Two. Like... The monster being, you know, Nazis, Nazis and the Germans, you know, at that point in time, and that kind of legacy. Because we've talked about this, and you watch a lot of these nineteen fifties films, sci-fi, horror, whatever, and there's so many of them about this kind of invading force, large, powerful monster, and it, it reminds you of that kind of propaganda. Well, it was war, also coming into that whole Red Panic deal where uh, the, the Cold War was starting to warm up. Mm. as it were, and certainly Invasion of the Body Snatchers has been mentioned. And that was 56, I think yeah. it was, a couple of years earlier than this. And that's always been mentioned as being a, a cautionary tale yeah. about communism overtaking, or maybe not necessarily communism specifically, yeah. but maybe that concern of that hidden danger yeah. consuming people. And this movie, of course, does the same thing. It's got literally this blob that is a red... Yeah, I know people can now see us yeah, chase away the insects. <laughs> uh, this red blob that, that yeah, is yeah. consuming people and it's, um, yeah, I guess everyone's sort of saying, oh, we've got enough problems as it is without yeah. worrying about you and your crazy ideas, you yeah. kids. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's the thing, like the, the idea of, you know, how um, whether this is an invasion of the body snatch is the same, whether it's like the... If, the aftermath of Nazi Germany and that that impact on people and how that sort of because Nazi if you go back we don't have time to talk about it in this podcast but you know how they rose up the idea of Nazi over like fifteen years you know so it's mm. a political willpower we were just talking earlier about 1984 and controlling the narrative you know the Hitler's Nazi party they they took about fifteen to eighteen years to take control of Germany to 
make their ideology the right old ideology, you know, and that included burning books, like change the narrative, you know, and mm. all politicians do it even today, even in a country like Australia. Shock horror. But maybe not to the extremity of burning books. I don't, we don't see Australian politicians I, burning I books, have we? <laughs> not literally. But narrative, yeah. There Telling have, a narrative, There have sure. been calls for books to be banned. Yeah. And, and journalists have been raided in this country. You know, the the previous federal government um, raided journalists, you know, federal police came and raided journalism. And, you know, every now and then the journalists are put in their place. Well, but it makes it easier when the Prime Minister is most of the ministry. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's very true. Anyway, we're getting too political. But whether it's that or, as you're saying, the whole concept is more, you know, the warming up of the Cold War. So it's like the warning people warning like, this is yeah, your warning like, there's something hidden there that's that's taking over people. was american society for example where the writers were putting this story together in the script were they thinking yeah like the russians are really building up a military force we're telling people that and they're not taking it seriously yeah and so therefore the blob is a symbol of that or was it more Look, we saw it. The history books tell us that if you don't take these warnings seriously, you you can get in trouble. So, I think even though Steve McQueen was not a teenager, no. uh, it was great that he was so innocent. He was quite innocent and naive, and along with the rest of the teenagers and that nineteen fifties society of being a bit sweet and innocent, going and um, just rocking the boat a little bit. The vagrants. <laughs> All those said, vagrants. Like, those, uh, my children are not vagrants, you know, like <laughs> the father says, you know. And you, you saw some of that innocence. And even with the police officers, like, trying to deal then towards the end of the film with the blob, like, they didn't really have any any big ideas, right? Like, it was pretty small ideas. I, and And so, yeah, I just feel like it was a nice metaphor that, yeah, either beware of the impending doom or... Like, let's look at our history books and we can tell mm. you that a big, powerful source can take you over. So I feel it's a warning. You may out there in listening or watching land, if you happen to see this on YouTube, disagree. Do you think it is a hope, warning or experiment? So is this, as you said, why have you not seen The Blob so far to the audience? Was this your first viewing of The Blob 1958 we are talking? Sorry. Uh, you know, of course, that that is my my. You know, I haven't seen the blob until just now. This is a very, this is my first time watching it. What? And the no. reason is because it is so old. Oh. It's it's genuinely quite difficult to find uh, a way of watching it here in yeah. Australia. Well, I did realise looking into the credits because you you and I had troubles getting a copy of our hands on this, which surprised me. I realised it's Paramount, so maybe you need the Paramount streaming app, uh, Paramount Plus or something. Yeah, yeah so it because be. it is a Paramount Pictures film, so. Yeah, I, I don't have that, and maybe yes. that's where we missed out. I mean, so this this is the first time watching it. I I had to watch a version that was presented by a you know a late night horror presenter, as they do. It seems to be yeah. an American thing. I've, I haven't really seen the equivalent here in Australia, uh, and it, it was. I, I, I think maybe it is an American cultural thing because he gave me the shits. It, <laughs> He just kept jumping in there and like being a dick, and you're like, "I'm watching this movie. Just let me watch the movie. It's it's a it's a good entertaining movie." Reminded me a bit of like Cheese TV here, you know, if you know what I mean, like that mm. children's show where they would play, like they play a cartoon show, and obviously goes to an ad break, and when they come back, the hosts of the Cheese TV would be like, "Oh, let's get back to what the turtles are up to now, yeah. the Power Rangers sort of idea." I think it's like that kind of idea, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think. 
I think I sort of see where it's coming from, and mm. it was nice that he had a little intro spiel about the film yeah. uh, and so forth. But that aside, I watched the film on my own. Mm. My wife was uh, entertaining my kids, watching. Gee, what, what were they watching? Something exciting, and I came out and had to come watch too. <laughs> uh, so that was good. Um, but it, it was it was nice to watch. It's it's one of these films that you sort of settle into, and and you know what you're getting for coming in for you go well it's a 1958 film so you're not going to have special effects you're not going to have well they had special effects but uh you, you know what i'm talking about you're not yeah. going to have the great whiz bangery and so forth there's so going to be a lot more 58 a few years before cgi yeah it's, it's going to be a lot more character sort of work going on and a bit more blocking as in studio sets yes not necessarily still cameras, on location yeah still cameras not a lot of movement and so forth mm. but yeah, when you do go in and you settle in for that, it's it's an entertaining film. It's fairly short and sharp, mm, which is, which great. is good. Yeah. Um, I think Invasion of Body Snatchers also was fairly yeah, straight was. to it. Yep. Uh, and I can see that immediately going into it, I thought this is definitely where modern teen horror movies come from. Mm. Like I was, I was just watching it, and uh, there's straight up there was you know they're at makeout point, yeah. as it were. <laughs> Where, making out, where yeah, they're making out, and and Steve is trying to convince Jane, Janie, babe, he's trying to be suave, but he's just yeah. not. He's a nerd, <laughs> uh, trying to trying to convince Jane that you know he doesn't bring the girls up here, and I believe him. I couldn't imagine him being <laughs> cool enough to have you know a string of uh, babes hanging off his arm, and then you know they have the, the drag racing kids, mm. and then, but it's the uh, the weird old guy that we know nothing about. Mm. He's he sort of is the first warning. Yeah. First warning sign is that the old codger. Yes. And that's very important in teen films mm. to have the old person raving a little bit mm. and die early. <laughs> and it sort of sets the scene as being, sets the focus on the kids. You know, so, so he's, he's like an old guy. He's got experience and wise. No, he just like puts his hand in the blob and he's, <laughs> and then he just mumbles and cries and whimpers for the whole rest of the thing until he's consumed. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah. Did you notice like even the doctor and Steve, like both of them were like, uh, when they, when, even when he got to the doctor, the doctor's like, that will keep the old timer uh, down for a little bit. I'll just give the old timer something to you know, like sedate him a bit. You know, like even the doctor. I'm like, the doctor's not that much younger than. Him. Yeah, you're probably, probably not that much younger, no. dude. Yeah, like, hmm. but yeah. So it, it's got all of those teen horror movies because I, I watched. You know, I was a teen at one point in my life. What? Hard to believe. Now you can sort of see the the glory of my yeah. lack of hair. We're uh, ruining the illusion of podcasts, aren't we? The illusion, because everyone thought that I was such a suave young yeah. boy. You're just a teenager. I'm just a teenager. Uh, the well, I could play a teenager. You could play a teenager with the right makeup. Yeah, with the right makeup, <laughs> hair, and hair, and well, if maybe I was a swimmer, I had just swimming cap on yeah. all the time. Uh, but I watched, yeah, through the nineties. You know, the scream is. Good one, yeah, comparable great. to this, yeah. where the teenagers are in trouble mm. and they're trying to raise the alarm that there's, there's something barely bad going on, and the police are inept, even if they are, you know, caring and interested, they're really kind of dismissive, and it's not until it's the actions of the teenagers which overcome the villain in yeah. Scream, and of course in the Blob it's the same deal. We've got this setup where the teenagers are 
not taken seriously. The cops, even Dave, is you know he's sympathetic and he mm. he likes to give them the benefit of the doubt. He but does. ultimately, he's still pretty. You know, you're just a bunch of kids. What are you doing? Yeah. And so it's it was a it was a good experience. I got that sort of nostalgia for those sorts of slasher films. I, I could see the yeah, for sure. genesis here. Mm. And I was actually reading that the Blob was the B feature for. I married a creature from outer space or something mm. right that was the yeah right of course we've not heard of that again uh, it was the B feature to that which means that they had a double screening the yep. first one's sort of the good one and yep. the second one I don't know why you put the worst one second but that's what they did I think it's like if you hung around you know like at the cinema yeah so oops if you if you, if you hung around for the you watched the main film and then hung around for the kind of night film. Because you got nothing better to do. Yeah. You know, maybe as the teenagers yeah. would do it. The teenagers would hang around. But of course, this film here, which centred on the teenage characters as the protagonists, it got all of the teenagers who were then going into drive-in theatres, it got them all in like, oh, this is fantastic. We're the heroes. You know, there's... Mm. It's representation. And as I said, representation matters. Mm. This film represented teenagers... Uh, there are probably a couple of other films. I, I don't know them, but this one is renowned for representing teenagers in this sort of film, which also was a subject matter that entertained teenagers. Yeah. And it quickly went from B-movie into the main feature slot as it was shot for 120000 I think, I, think, I guess we'll go into that, 110000 you've got written there. Uh, and they sold it, the rights, for 300000 you know, the rights, the distribution... Yep, uh, and it went on, you know, four million dollars, which was lucky for Steve McQueen because he got three thousand dollars cash up front. He needed that to pay his. Yeah, he's a, he's an actor. This yeah. is one. This is one of his first, or yeah, maybe I think his, it's first, his first major feature. Major yeah. feature. Yeah, he had to pay rent and buy food. Yeah, and so he got three grand, but he asked for he got ten percent on the back. Ooh, um, and they gave it to him because they were like, "This is a B film. This yeah. I can do, Jack." You know. Take it, Steve. <laughs> uh, yeah, take it, Steve. It went, went on for $4 million and, yeah, it's still going. Mm. So I don't know how long that 10% lasts for, but... I think it's, yeah, forever, really, until forever. the copyright ends, really, yeah. which is, uh, what, 100 plus, 100 years after the life of someone or whatever. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, something or whatever. Those copyrights, you know, the Walt Disney thing, yeah. 100 years after they die or something like that. Or, but, anyway. Yeah, yeah. right. Um I had quite a different viewing experience with this because uh, I have seen this. I have seen this as a child growing up and have seen the subsequent remakes the, as well. The 1988 one? The 1988 one. Um, that, that's a decent movie in yeah, itself. Yeah, the 1988 one is good. It's, that's actually a lot more accessible as well, so if you're interested in watching that uh, compared to the 58 version. But, yeah, I've seen this film... Probably this might have been about my third time, um, but definitely I haven't seen it since my childhood. And I think this really was an introduction to me because it sticks in my mind. When we when we decided to do this, I was like, it's definitely a classic. And when I started watching this film, within the first five minutes, I was like, oh, this is good. This is really solid. It's so fast telling us. I mean, that meteor, so Steve and Jane are making out he want, he wants a bit more, can't quite get it, and the meteor falls out of the sky. I'm like, wow, like that is a tight script writing, right? Mm, <laughs> like straight and, you know, by five minutes into the film they're 
they're they're hunting for it, and really by about ten minutes, the old man stumbling across the road in front of them, and they've got to rush him to hospital. So the blob has already, you know, entered the story. The danger's already been explained. We're seeing the world kind of break down really rapidly. Um, so to me, it was it was just like such a punch in the face of why this story is so cool, you know, like, um, and you sort of said it, like you, you forgive the fact that it's 70, almost 70 years old. Right. Mm. And so you, you do forgive that pretty quickly. And, uh, if, if you're willing to look past that, there's films like this invasion of the body snatchers, the other one, and there's many, many more. You, if you can forgive that, then you really can see some great writing and then great sort of, uh, you know, incredible, sort of other aspects, whether that's acting or like the special effects in here were pretty interesting as well as how they did that blob at different points, you know? Um, and then the other thing I think I picked up this time, sorry, and I did want to chuck this by you, you were saying, oh, you know, like the horror story. And I, I agree. Like it's, you're saying scream, you can see it's Nightmare on Elm Street, which is another Wes Craven, so maybe there's a connection there anyway. But a bit of Fright like Night. Friday, Fright Night, there's Friday the 13th mm. kind of movies, like a lot of that story structure there. But I also thought this was quite similar to Alien. Alien, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, I don't mean as in the teenage side of it, no. the story. I mean the, stor- the story structure. Yeah. And because that has that kind of cat and mouse, like they're looking for the blob, they think it's there. Other people go looking for it. Other people don't really believe it's serious. You've got a bit of well, kind of that, like... That is interesting character. when you say because, you know, Ripley, renowned in the Alien film for being the only sensible one, is that, no, you need to quarantine. Is that anyone yeah. say, no, 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 it's it's not serious. It's, that's right. We need to do the There's continue that on. Sort of, yeah, that, and that's what I mean. There's more. That's where I saw the similarity mm. that you had a character... You, you had, you had, first of all, the story structure, like cat and mouse, like mm. the blob's here. No, it's not there. It's here. You know what I mean? Like... He's like, oh, it's in the department store, but it was at the cinema, you know, yeah. like, oh, it's going to be, um, uh, you know, it's going to be here in the um, doctor's, oh, no, it's not in that room, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that reminded me a lot of how in the first Alien film, and we have done that, go back, listen to it if you haven't, um, how there is that cat and mouse, you know, the aliens above in the chains and then it's in the vents and, you know, the cat is there. And I also thought the dog here was like the cat, you know, in Alien, yes. you know. So there's that sort of like connection uh, I felt. Um, so it would be interesting, yeah, like what what Ridley has to say about that inspiration. I'm not sure if that's sort of public, but I could see a lot of connotations a lot of in this mm. sort of viewing, you know. But it's such a fun, horrific kind of film, this film. Yeah. <laughs> and it just really stands out when you look at a lot of those, you know, alien lands on the planet and just how rapidly the world deteriorates in the blob. Um, how did this film make you feel? Uh, it was not scary. I think it's supposed to be quite scary. Yeah, I think it's supposed and, to be terrifying. Maybe at the time it was a little <laughs> bit more so, you yeah. know, but the opening credit song, the, the blob. Yeah, the blob. Yeah, like... Which the trivial bit about that, right, is they deliberately made that song that way to lighten it because they were a bit worried that it was too scary. Yeah. So they deliberate because that song is sort of ridiculous, isn't it? It's like a real sort of... But it was by Burt Bacharach. Bacharach, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was Yeah, it was a bit of a funny song so, yeah. and I thought that was a bit odd. And, it is odd. Um, but, yeah, I, I think 
it got me interested. Like I was really interested to see where the story was going and, mm. and how, how it would develop and how a 1958 view on teen horror would mm. progress. Yeah, yeah. And you can definitely see that um, it's, it's a lot more tame in comparison mm. to more recent stuff. Like you oh, go into the, sure. it, But then you look in the 80s, I remember Nightmare on Elm Street was like a real, you know, that was a, a big horrible horror film you know that was really nasty but i remember watching it again when i was much older you know after being a teenager and i was like wow this is really quite tame <laughs> like you know really it's it's no sore no. or hostel yeah. you know it's it's quite you know moderate in mm. its is used it's most of the horror is in uh, it being relatable to people of the time. Yeah. You know, as a and teenager at the time and the sorts of high school uh, events and the sorts of people involved at the at the time was, was very real. It made it very real to me. But then as an adult, you know, working a job and I'm watching it and it's, you know, we've got mobile phones and things. I was thinking, yeah, mm, okay. <laughs> it's It's interesting. I like it, but it's not. It's not doesn't have the impact, and and that's why I got the blob as well. Was I was watching, going, yeah. If I was a teenager of the time, I could definitely see that this would give you anxiety, almost like um, don't look up. Yeah, you know, in don't look yeah. up, they they trying to convince you, you're getting that these and... scientists trying to convince everyone that there's this real danger, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, okay, sure, ha 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 ha. <laughs> Tell us more about this exploding stars. Yeah, yeah. So well, it won't matter because we'll all be dead. And this one's the blob is, you know, uh, so you. You played a prank on me last week, and now tell me about this this monster that you saw. Ha ha ha! Whatever you know. So, um, yeah, I, I was, but I was very keen and very interested in watching it. It was it was a very it's very entertaining still, mm. particularly because it's so tightly written and yeah. paced. Like yes. you get in there and you go through. There's no prolonged piano playing scene with one camera shot for like five minutes, you know, you're not sitting there just going, just when is this moving? Yeah. So, and, I mean, I, I think with that as well, like Steve, isn't this a really clever writing trick that, so we have Steve and Jane and their sort of teenage romance and then they're thrown into the deep end. So we learn kind of, we learn, oh, they're, oh, they're good people. They're nice people. They help mm. the old man. You know, so there's a sort of save the cat stuff. But then realistically we don't but then he does the racing with his mates and stuff yeah uh so he's still a teenager you know like he's still got those sort of you know male testosterone he's a bit goofy he's a bit goofy he's a bit is he a bit nerdy or does he fit in does he not um but then it's also then later as well with then the two dads then you kind of learn more about him you know so so it's good writing that to me is good writing there's a good technique there it's like you don't have to just spill oh, Steve is a teenager. Steve has a dad that does this and he always lies to his dad. You know, you don't have to spell it all out in that no. first opening scene. There's things that can be kind of kept to the side. Um, so I found that, like, I thought that was a clever kind of piece of writing in it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. But speaking of writing and clever, <laughs> uh, what, what are we doing these days? I mean, we do have a film festival. Yeah, we should uh, mention that. We're getting quite a few submissions. So it's the second year of the Space Brain Sci-Fi Film Festival. Uh, if you are making a short or feature or even a music clip, 
that fits under this genre. So like The Blob, The Blob was a horror sci-fi, but clearly sci-fi. You know, an alien lands on the planet uh, and invades. Uh, you know, you might be making a film like that, inspired from The Blob. Well, the Space Brains Film Festival could be a really good match for you to submit your film to. Yeah, so, we've, we've gotten a couple music videos now. Yes. One from here in Australia, in Canberra. Yeah, awesome. Filmed at Mount Stromlo oh. Observatory. Very nice. I have no idea what that means, oh, but as you do. Uh, yeah, well, it's, <laughs> well, I visited as a school excursion, of course, and later on with my parents because, you know, we're all nerds in my family. Why not? And look at look at the skies. Yes, and, the and there's, there's another one from Russia, which has got some very interesting sort of animation and awesome. space learning you know it's it's sort of got a bit of a history of mostly russian space flight but that's very interesting interesting. in itself yeah Yeah. yeah, for sure so if you are a filmmaker or a writer uh right now is the time to get cracking get submitting we're in the sort of early bird stage the festival is june 2023 we'll be having more and more details come out about that over the next couple of months. So stay tuned, look at our website, check in in the socials. Uh, You need to make a film and submit it to Film Freeway. So again, just look for Space Brains online. If you're following us through here, wherever you're listening to us, you should be able to go back to our website and that can help you out with all the information. Uh, Separate to that, I myself, I sort of said last episode, I am starting a little bit cleaning the slate And interesting, since that, I've actually got a new idea. Uh, And this is going to be... And this is something that I've wanted to do, like as a goal, and it's been something that's tinkering. My brain or the creative spark has hit me, and I'm doing... It's going to be a low-budget feature film. So that's kind of the challenge I was... Well, I've really been thinking probably for about 12 months, (laughs) and sometimes you hear writers talk about this, but... It's something that I've kind of said to myself. Uh, previously, I've written three feature films, not with any real rules or restrictions, just to mm. write them, you know, and hopefully put them out there and potentially get them made and all that. Whereas for this one, I'm thinking, what is something that I could make, you know, and what is something that is potentially made with a very low or no budget, but it's going to be a feature film. So... And I've had that bubbling around in my head, not really anything, but suddenly an idea has hit me. Um, It's most likely not sci-fi and maybe a bit more in the horror sort of genre, Um, but it has come to me and I've gotten the sort of the bare bones of it, the beats. And so this last, since the last time we recorded, I've got got my beat board up again and I'm kind of pinning ideas Ah, as they come to me. And I've definitely got a very solid first act and know how the story should end. So the last act, but some of the middle bits need a bit more filling out. A bit of fun and games. Yeah, a bit more. And there probably is already some fun and games. And this is what's Mm. beautiful about the beat board is that every day when I do my uh, morning pages, suddenly you're like, you're looking at that beat board and you go, oh, that's another fun and game. And so that's what's great about the beat board is then Mm. you can just jot that down on a card, pin it. And guess what? You might not end up using it or you might. And yeah. so, but then it starts, you start seeing the board filling in. <laughs> yeah. And I think also a little bit of the emptiness is that I probably haven't completely um, formulated, you know, the two main characters either. Like there's still more to them. What I was just saying with Steve and that writer hiding stuff to a bit end, I probably don't 100% know my character inside out yet. 
But it's exciting because, to be honest, yeah, two weeks ago I kind of was blank slate. Oh, that is very good. Yeah, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, I've just about finished mapping out the that novel that I was reworking because it, it was a little bit short mm-hmm. and wasn't going the direction I wanted to. Even though I'd actually already plotted it out and all the rest of it, it needed a bit more. So I, I've I'm uh, doing much the same things. So I've I've gone through and recorded each chapter as to what yep. they're doing, what the main scenes are, how that relates then to the development of, of story and drive, like, you know, character A does this because of this mm-hmm. and so this happens yep. and, and leading on. And I just need to change a, a couple of the villains around. So right. there are two villains, like a primary villain and then like a henchman, if you like. Mm. Um, but it's... I'm going to have to have it the other way around because <laughs> one of the ca- the characteristics of the henchman actually better translates as a primary villain. Right, yeah, Like okay. it's because they have a very personal uh, antagonism with the protagonist. Mm. And because they have that, you sort of think, well, they shouldn't be a minor villain mm. because the other guy who is actually the primary villain doesn't have that connection. Right. And so that's why I got to the end of my plotting and I looked at it and went, this, doesn't, this has ended too soon, but mm. it has tied up all of the story ends. <laughs> and then I went, oh, that's because this henchman is too close to the main character and the henchman just got trashed, which would normally you know, lead you on then to the big bad, but but no one cares about the big bad because it's the, the, I've just lost the only real connection mm. beyond uh, like a fairly superficial, uh, he's doing bad things. Yeah. I don't know, who cares? Yep, yep, you know? yeah. So. Yeah, cool. So it is, it's, now I've got that sort of worked out. It's a matter now of how do I transfer these characteristics across, so swap the two villains around from primary to secondary mm. so that at the point where the henchman dies... I haven't lost the primary connection mm. and it's a realisation that they have only scratched the surface mm. of the story, if yeah. you like. Yeah, so yeah. That, that's good. Uh, and on top of that, I'm, I'm working on an app at the moment. Ooh, it's okay. a little business venture with my son yeah. um, to make some pocket money. Mm. So that'll be exciting. Mm. Uh, I would flog it and advertise it here, but it'll be pointless because it's very localised to the Mandra region. <laughs> <laughs> and so if if you went if if when I release it you go and download it and try and use it you'll find that you'll just be told that if you're not in Western Australia in Mandra I don't want to know about it <laughs> so so it's anyway a niche and as uh, Andy J Pizza would say the niches get the riches oh yes which is <laughs> doesn't work if you call it pronounce it niches get the no, riches no it doesn't work that way you go say niches niches get the bitches. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Okay. But so, I love that. I love. But it, but he but he does make a really good point. Like that. No matter what, in this current sort of digital world, mm. there is actually a lot of value in niching down. You know, like oh, yes, really no. getting into it. It helps know, what that you do. we're working for pocket money for my son, who's ten. Mm. Where you know, fifty dollars a month is great. If I if I was working on something fifty dollars a month for myself, I'd be like, that's really not worth my time. Yes. <laughs> I, I've got to quit. <laughs> my my rent is many times that per week. I'm yeah, afraid. Yeah. <laughs> that's just the way it is because there's there's you know certain realities of life. But uh-huh. as a ten year old, 
you know, it's any money really is good, good money. It's good money, I reckon. Yeah. That is really good money. So, anyway, that's great. So, yeah, as we said, check out the film festival as well. More details to come. So, with the blob, let's get stuck into some bits and bobs about the plot um, and really get into some details that happen and then into some of the science that is behind the blob. Uh, we'll go into uh, talking a bit about some of the narrative structure and whilst we're doing that, we'll also divulge some of what we thought about things like symbolism or the camera or editing, acting um, and overall kind of beats as we go throughout those main features. Uh, as we said before, The Blob was directed by Ivan Yeworth and written by Kay Linaka and Theodore Simonson based on a story by Ivan H. Milgate. Uh, it was produced by Jack H. Harris and it did star the one and only Stephen McQueen. As you were pointing out before, I think this was his first major kind of film, even though it was kind of a B-grade film anyway or B-feature. Not not so much B-grade, sorry, that's not probably right. But, uh, but it was his first big step in stone into a Hollywood career. Um, Annette Corset, she played uh, Jane. Uh, Earl Rove played Lieutenant Dave and Olin Howland was the old man. Um, this was... Oh, and Stephen Chase played Dr. T. Hallen. Uh, as we said, Paramount, it was basically just filmed and produced in the United States. Uh, had a pretty... I think, like, even in 1958, this is actually quite a small budget of 110000 I don't know what the inflationary dollar is on that. Um, but maybe that was a few mil. So, you know, in today's dollars, might be a couple of mil. Yes? No? You're not doing the maths in your uh, head? I am, yeah. Yeah, a couple Two, of mil probably. Six, probably about, yeah, 10 million. Yeah. So if you, in the US, again, like real low budget. Um, good example was... Get Out, Jordan Peele's Get Out, which went on and was a huge blockbuster, mm. horror blockbuster again. That was made for the $4 million mark. And that was like him scrimping and scraping and borrowing and begging. And and, and again, in the US, four mil is, they're probably not really going to do it. That like four mil is going to be about as cheap as it gets in the US. In Australia, very different. You know, we make many, many movies for, you know, a mil up even the ones that are properly funded. So, um, but yeah, in the US, about four is the lowest. So if it's 10 mil, yeah, it's kind of above that. No, but it's no passengers where Steve McQueen is getting paid Jennifer Lawrence money of 18 million just to rock up for the movie. No, none of us are being paid Jennifer Lawrence money, <laughs> uh, except for Jennifer Lawrence. Except for Jennifer Lawrence, yeah. So, <laughs> good on you. Good on you, Jennifer Lawrence. So you keep up that. I hope they keep paying you that way. Um, but it was great that you you said Steve uh, kind of did the Tom Cruise. I'll take a tap on it at the end, and um, and it was successful for him. Yeah, but, you know, I think it worked out because uh, if the box office was four mil compared to one hundred and ten thousand, was that a forty times? Yeah, increase. That's yeah. pretty sweet. And that, but that does come from the fact that if you've got a relatively small budget. Mm. Mind you, that would be like a ten million film becoming like a forty million, a four hundred million film mm. in box of which, uh, which does happen. Yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely those ones around the place that have done that. I know. Uh, like I only learned this not that long ago was Forrest Gump. They struggled to really get the money up for Forrest Gump, and they got some money. Um, and but what ended up happening was Tom Hanks 
and Robert Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis is the director, both of them um, really well-known, big time. You know, Robert Zemeckis is Back to the Future and, you know, many other films. Uh, but he, they just, both of them really wanted to make Forrest Gump, so they took massive pay cuts for their salaries to make Forrest Gump and mm. then that money could go back into the film and actually make the film. Uh, and, but they did, they took a 10% cut of the film from doing that. And Forrest Gump was massive, like a huge box office success. Unless you're the writer. Still making... Yeah, no, we've talked about this. The writer writer. got screwed. He he took gross (laughs) points, not net. Yeah. Yes, and uh, Hollywood has good accounting practices, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. But both Zemeckis and Hanks have done well, very well out of that, so... Nice. So, let's get into the story acts. Mm. We start off with Act 1... Act one is the introduction. We're going to see all the characters. We're going to get some sort of uh, idea of their personalities. Sure. We have a saving the cat, as mm. um, uh, Schneider would say. Yeah, which just is a hero moment. It's usually a moment which says, this is why you should care about the hero. Yeah. And um, it's quite straightforward. There are some films that don't do it as well. Yeah. And often you end up liking a secondary character more. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunate, but sometimes you get these show stealers who are just m- more likable. Yeah. Uh, we get the important point here in Act One is the inciting incident, and that's the question uh, that is asked that we want answered in Act Two. It's also tends to be the um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. it tends to be that moment where we know what the film's going to be about, yep. what to expect, the the premise. Basically, uh, it may not end that way we expect it to end. But it's certainly the way we expect Act 2 to follow through. Hopefully there is a bit of a surprise at the end which helps us, you know, stay interested. <laughs> but, yeah, and out of this, out of this uh, catalyst, we get the hero is driven towards some sort of a story. Mm. But they, they're not sure if they're going to be able to do it or how they're going to do it. Uh, they invariably choose to continue on and take the challenge yeah sometimes then, trying to solve the catalyst really quickly mm, and that doesn't work no so that kind of leads them on like do they continue do they keep going yeah yeah they keep going and that's that's an interesting one as well of course because when we talk about debate sometimes there's an obvious debate which is you know what do i do with this information yeah do i you know you you can often have a scene particularly say in a horror film do i run away and hide mm. or do I warn everyone else yeah. and try to escape? Yes. And yeah, either one can lead into the film depending on the nature of the the thing the 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 catalyst. It could imply that we're gonna have a bit of a cat and mouse, you know, deadliest game chasey mm. type deal. Yeah. In which case run and hide will be the choice. Uh or it could be like um well, Friday the thirteenth, which is Oh, there's a murder around. We all need to get out of here. Yeah. How do we get out? Yeah. Yeah. But that lives in Act 2. It what's, does. What's covered in Act 2? Uh, so Act 2, once they've made that decision and the story continues, is basically fun and games. I like how Schneider says it's like the trailer. So I really think that's a really important way to understand that as a writer, that in a big chunk of this part of the film now is the audience going, oh, yeah, we're in for a good story. 
and I expect this now, you know? And so, you know, if it's a story about, um, a, you know, two people driving from Perth to Sydney or New York to uh, LA, it's like, you know, now we're in for that car ride. You know, now we're in for we're, that. We're going to have the road trip adventures. We're, we're on a road trip of some sort. And mm. so that that's the fun in games. You know, if, if it's a, a sporting story where they've got to climb the mountain of becoming the best team and they're the, you know, the ugliest, unfittest, you know, no, no talent, no talent, uh, been in prison, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, they're up against, you know, the A-grade team with the polished sport uniforms, etc. that we know that they're going to go through that progression. Um, and that's pretty much the fun in game. So whatever the catalyst was, they've decided to come over it and we're in that too. And the fun in games is literally having fun with that catalyst, either trying to resolve it or learn or, or escape. Maybe it is again, the cat and mouse. So it's kind of looking at, Oh, where is the, where's the mouse? Where's the cat? Where's the mouse? Where's the cat? And that's the fun in games of mm. it. Uh, and what happens is then you hit a midpoint, so right in the bang in the middle of the story, uh, and quite often this is can be a little bit positive or a little bit more negative, or the you know the things are getting worse. Um, I did actually see a film about a week ago that had a positive midpoint because then the end of the story is not positive, <clears throat> and it reminded me that they can be positive at the midpoints. Um, and so, yeah, the midpoint is basically then really it's now time to get serious. You know, that mm. things are real. The decision they made to drive us into Act 2 and they've played with, now we're serious. On a road movie, to go back to that analogy, we're now past the halfway mark of the journey, but there's also not really the ability to go back. You know, that, or it doesn't it doesn't feel like they should go back. So mm. the world has kind of changed on them. Um, and then this leads us into some analogy of story writing, like bad guys close in, you know, the world crumbles. Um, they, they have a dark night of the soul or just a real bottoming out point. Um, all the things that they tried to do to solve the catalyst is now not working. And they've hit a point of despair really. Um, and I know there's Robert McKee sort of says that that great analogy of like someone on the side of the road, they've missed the job interview, they've got no money on them, no ability to contact someone and it's raining and the bus comes by and splashes them. You know? And it's just like, it's kind of like the worst possible thing has just happened to this person. And he also gives that analogy, I know, McKee, because then it's like, well, in that point in time, some people would give up, whereas your character needs to then go light bulb moment of, no, I don't want to give up. I want to try this. And we've done The Matrix, and hopefully it's not too much of a spoiler, but Neo in that moment decides, I have to save Morpheus, which, of course, is not him being the one but he's decided to go save the one at that point in the story. And so that drives the Matrix into the third act because Neo, in their bottoming out moment, like of all the bad things that have been happening, he decides to go save Morpheus. And that's enough to take us into the third act. Into the third act. And the third act, of course, is the finale. 
not surprising no. there, is it really? <laughs> We're going to hope that we start wrapping up the uh, primary sort of uh, problem that mm. has arisen. And, you know, you, it's really obvious in some of these films where you've got like a, a big bad villain, you've got a blob. Yeah. You're going to be going in and confronting this you've thing. you got to kill the blob at some point, right? But so you've got to have a, a, a scene where people sort of gather their resources, they sort of band together or they just, you know, mentally... Uh, prepare themselves mm. to to go out and do this thing. They have the initial confrontation with their problem. Mm. It doesn't quite work out, and oh. and this is like because they've just come from this real bottom point where they've got a bit of inspiration. Maybe even there was a death involved, yeah. and then they hit this. They think they've got it. It turns out that they don't. And there's there's usually that's a bit there where as the audience you you take that oh no gasp. Is this going to be Super bad. Uh, we kind of know it's probably not unless, as you said, the midpoint was positive. I hate those movies. You're going along <laughs> and you get to that midpoint and you go, gee, that was not nice. Oh, this is not going to be a good ending. <laughs> oh, no. So, but you, this is called the reversal and usually this is where the hero then will have to dig deep. They'll have to remember some other thing that they've learnt through mm. their travels and journeys and their questing mm-hmm. and that's where they will turn it around They'll they'll demonstrate the the learning of the theme, if you like, mm. and finally overcome the obstacle, shall yeah. we say, the blob. And this then leads into a a final image where we get uh, a an ending of uh, something similar to the start, mm. but maybe just a bit different to show yeah. how the world has changed. Yeah, and that's. That's usually the way that ending goes. Yes, it does. And that is a really... Sometimes the final image can be a bit of a reversal of the start or it could be a bit of a repetition of the start. So to sort of show that the world is a little bit different. Um, the blob's got a bit of a, <laughs> a horror ending, doesn't it? And we'll come to that yeah. when we get there and um, hopefully sort of picked up on, on what they did at the end of this film. So this opening image is basically coming in after we have the cheesy credits and and again, please get past those credits. It was the 1950s is what films used to do. They used to play all the credits at the start. We're used to the credits. We're not even used to credits now because of Netflix. Oddly enough, you know, you've like, got... It was George Lucas with Star Wars that he really bucked the trend yes. of credits at the start yeah. because he wanted to maintain the drama yep. of the... Special <laughs> particular opening that crawl yeah. and the the big star destroyer Da-da. flying yeah. in and so on, yeah. without having yeah you because know, you watch these these older films where they have like they go, so they much just go at the start and you the sit there and just going I don't care yeah yeah it's all these things okay but it's a different time this is what it they expected this, this is what they expected back in the well this is just what they were delivered back in these days there yeah. was no other there was no Netflix where. They don't even show you the credits, you know. Um, I remember a few years ago with some film people I knew, they were like, are we the only people that stay at the end of the movie to watch the credits, you know? And, I mean, I, now it's even with Netflix, you just, it goes to that next Well, that's thing, what those Marvel like, films have done yeah. because they, after they, the, they have the little... bits, don't they, yeah. The stinger at the end yeah. of every film. Mm. And that's a sneaky way of making sure people do see your, you know, credits. fabulous credits. Yeah. Listen and they to are songs. important because we wouldn't have the film without all those credits. So, yeah, it is important. So, the blob, we basically get shown this really small 
Pennsylvania town, even though we, I don't know if we know that at the start, but it is just a little town and we have Steve and his girlfriend Jane are making out at Lover's Lane um, when we see, and they're talking about the stars, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, she says, I like um, to come up here because it's a good place to see the stars. Yeah, out of the light of the And she says, oh, how often do you come up here? You know, because this is the make-out point. And he's like, oh, I know, I just meant that, you know, it's away from all of the lights, you can see the, the stars properly. He definitely wants yeah. more out of it, which who can blame him? Because Jane is quite does. a good-looking young lass, and he's he's trying um, to be he's trying to be cool. He's trying to be cool, but he keeps stumbling his words. Yeah. He, he fumbles, and he's 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 trying to be cool, but you can see that actually he's not. He's quite nervous, and and I think unprepared. what's important for the rest of the story is that she kind of accuses him of coming up there with other girls, and he says he doesn't. He just comes to look at the stars, but he. And he's, it's kind of like he does the scouts on a thing. Yeah. And it's a bit, you know, trivial or jovial or whatever or a bit kiddie. But I think actually when you think about the rest of the story, he's trying to convince everyone else mm. that there is the blob. And actually in this opening scene, he's trying to convince her that, well, no, he doesn't come up here with lots of girls. No. Um, so I think if you think about it in the essence of the story, he's someone that tells the truth. This is what he does. Well, he tells the she truth. She very quickly says, "You know, I think, I think I believe you." Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was it. So for the yeah. rest of the film, she believes him. She believes him from that point cool. on. With yeah, um, so that's a really good kind of opening. We learnt a bit about both characters. Learnt a bit about Steve, and yeah, we see this meteor crash. So they kind of hop in the car and uh, zoom off uh, down the road looking for it. Um, we then cut to the old man. Creepy old woods cabin. Howlin, uh, and he does the great uh, example of Peter Jackson taking a camera through just some reeds, basically, <laughs> which I lo- always love because it's you don't need much to be very effective. It's good acting. He, you know, he's stumbling around in the dark. Um, he also interesting. He left his home with. He left the dog in the home. I thought that was interesting. I, I would sort of think you would take the dog, um, but this is a horror film trope, like. Oh, there's a noise outside. Let's go and investigate by ourselves. Without preparation. And then when he finds it, it's this cute little meteorite rock thing, which again, to me, was very impressive in terms of the effects. Oh, I love the way it cracked open. Yeah, yeah. That that looked absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and it has this blobby thing in the start. And um, I was kind of, you know, again, this is what horror films make you kind of do. You go, don't touch it. Yeah, just don't like, touch it. Come on, are you going to seriously touch it? And he gets a stick, so you think, okay, that's all right. It's a bit human, like prod it with a poke stick, it, yeah. poke it. But even that, I'm like, would you really want to poke this thing? Uh, it obviously comes from space, um, you know. And uh, he does poke it and gets it on the stick. And again, the special effects are pretty cool here because you know it's on the edge of the stick and it looks like this blobby uh, jelly. The thing stuff. I, I quite liked is he's, he's holding the stick. Up, yeah, and oh, look, you can see this in the camera, yeah, <laughs> and it, and it's it's dripping down to his hand, and yeah, you're thinking, it gets close to his hand. It's gonna, it's gonna not gonna be good yeah. if he gets this. But then he turns the stick Rotates upside down, it. like like yeah. like you would. So he's he's being careful. He's, he doesn't want it to get on his yeah. hand, and and this is the the horror jump scare bit because yeah. it that gives you that little relief. Go, oh, okay, he's, yeah, he's he survived right. this bit, but then it kind of it under just, its own power yeah, launches up the stick him, yes. and goes on his hand, yeah. which. Which I thought was a was a good little, um, it's it's the oh it's just the cat yes. moment you know like <laughs> you know you get the tension built up and then it's 
slight relief, and then, oh, no, too bad, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, still gotcha. And, you know, he starts screaming and wailing in pain and that. Um, and there's a good, so this is where it's really tight because we've had all that and we're probably only at about five minutes, six minutes into the film. Um, Steve and Jane are then a bit lost in the dark, so to speak, as in he sort of goes, oh, I think it landed about yeah, here, but Jane's I can't going, find him. Maybe it was further away. Yeah. Maybe it's like lightning, you know. Yeah. You think it's close, but it's actually miles That's away. That's right. Um, I liked how supportive she was, but I liked mm. she was like, do you want to go back and try another road? So, yeah, she was all into it, which was pretty cool. And um, so then they're heading off down the road, and this is where the old man now kind of comes screaming and yelling across the road and, and in front of them. And, um, and this is... This is a teen horror trope as well, isn't it? The stumbling out in, you know, the person who's just been attacked by the killer. They stumble out in front of the teens driving the cars and go, (laughs) and to yourself you're going, nah, keep going. Just keep (laughs) dropping. Don't stop because whatever's got him is out there still. And sure enough, they go and they help him into the car. Yeah, and he's he's kind of a they show you the hand a little bit, and it's at this point in time, it's kind of just a bit blobby over a it, bit of his hand. It looks like he's got a glove on, yeah, basically. Yeah, and um, anyway, he hops in and and they rush him to the the doctor. Um, when they get to the doctor, uh, oh sorry, yeah, and then they did a nice cut here because um, it actually. You know, I think they get him in the car and they, I think, does Steve say, I hope the doctor's still in town, right? Mm. And it cuts to then the doctor's on the phone saying, right, I'm, at, I'm leaving town for two days. Ah, it's time to leave <laughs> so, yeah, you know, Look after the place and uh, make sure you lock up kind of thing. And so, uh, again, it's that sort of time uh, clock, isn't if it? If anyone yeah. comes in here with a weird alien creature on their hand, tell them I'm away. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, so it's kind of, again, as an audience, you're like, oh, uh, is he well, going to make it there? Is it, it is interesting because he then, he urges his car on. Like he's yeah. going, come on. Which, that was a rather flat line, that one I felt, because he could have honked his horn a couple of times that made mm. his car go faster, which is, I didn't know that's what happened, but <laughs> I've been doing it wrong, it seems. Um, I only honk my horn when I'm coming to a stop. And I think he does, he's doing about 55 miles an hour and then he, and you see it accelerates to about 65 miles an hour. So, I mean, it's going reasonably fast, isn't it? Yeah, 100K. It's about 100K. So, and then he passes and then he kind the, of, yeah, the other mates, mates or whatever. Like, the other guys go, oh, no, what's the, he didn't just do that. Who's this he? cowboy? Yeah. <laughs> so we get introduced to this other sort of bunch of teenagers that don't like the fact that, you know, Steve has overtaken them and, raced them and anyway so they get down to the doctor and the doctor's just turning off his light and leaving the house oh, loved that light like that light on the side of the building that said dr hello helen uh, yeah helen uh, helen helen dr helen dr t helen on the side um of the thing and dr t yeah that's what mr t, <laughs> mr. t he didn't yeah. spend yeah, nine years yeah. in medical school to be called mr t no, dr t boy dr t um anyway and they rush him up and and this is where you know, he's got his hand all bandaged and all right, all right. You know, he's been bitten by something, some sort of animal. Okay, well, bring him in. Uh, brings him in, um, puts him on the table. He's, he's wailing and screaming. I loved his hair as well. Like yeah, his hair crazy. was like Dr. Ho- uh, uh, Doc Holiday. Right? Like it was all over the place. Doc Brown. Doc Brown, sorry. Yes. Yeah, not Dr. Holiday. Um, Doc Brown was really wild and unruly and he's wailing and not in a good state and the doctor's like, well, I'll just give, I'll give the old timer. <laughs> Bit of a look over. I was loving the language in this film as well. It's uh, just 
it's English apparently, you know, like compared to our current language. Um, lay him down. He asked Steve what's what happened. He, he said, well, I don't know. He's just kind of, you know, he's this old timer's run out mm. in front of the car. He's got something on his hand. And this is where he unwraps the hand. And now instead of it just being like a glove, his hand's kind of disappearing a bit into the It looks like a big jelly hand. Yeah, now. like the hand is that you can sort of see through the translucentness of the blob and you can see the hand inside, but it doesn't look like a human hand anymore. No, and the blob is becoming it was quite clear now it's becoming a little bit redder. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Gory. Yeah, it's creepy. So you know the doc sort of wraps him up, puts a blanket on top of him, which look, this is great horror sci-fi techniques here because and this is where also it reminded me of alien sorry that not everything was on display no right like there were there was bits you know alien is so good because um, and i think you might have even talked about when we did it like aliens only in it about 10 percent of the film right like the alien creature yeah you barely see it you barely see it and I was thinking that with the blob, like especially in this first, probably the first half of the film, you barely actually see the blob. Like it's just little tiny snippets. Which yeah, is I good. mean it's it's there. It's there. Like the carriage is there. It's under the under the cloth on the it's just not bed. Shown to us. It's implied. Mm. It's there. It's under the wrapping. It's in. You know, he's, it's under his hand wrapped up. It's you know, um, it was on the stick, and it's not. There. So it's so it's sort of like there, but not there. Love it, love it, love really good writing, I reckon. Um, so to me, that was kind of basically when the old man came out, the catalyst. That was the, the catalyst. catalyst. Well, see, I quite liked also, you've got a bit of a theme stated, I suppose. I also thought part of that catalyst, other than the, the old man coming in, is because uh, so far, from the point of view of, you know, as an audience member, what is this movie going to be about? What am I expecting from this? So far, I'm going, okay, there's this this thing. Okay, that's spooky, whatever. But then the doc takes a look at it and says, uh, whatever it is, we have to kill it. Yeah. You know, we have to... Actually, oh, my notes are now covered by my uh, <laughs> studio software. But anyway, he definitely says something along the lines of we need to figure out what this is mm. and we need to kill it. Yeah, yeah. And then I and I and I went okay. That's that's the now I know that's what this story is going to be. Mm. It's going to be trying to figure this out and you're going to kill it. Mm. And then they go back and the doc says, "Yep, yeah, go search. Yep, go up there and find out if you can find out what happened." Mm. Because uh, I suppose uh, the doctor needs more. He, he doesn't know what yeah. the hell's going. on. He's opened up books and he's trying to read stuff. Uh, and they they do they they nick off. Uh, or they go out. Anyway, they try to nick off, but they bump into their friends who are hanging on the car. And I thought this was going to be a like a dangerous mm, scene, but yeah. it's kind of not because no. it turns out they sort of know each other. They do. They're friends. And they're, yeah, they seem to have a slight sort of rivalry as it were, but not a sinister one, not, no, not a no. bully type of relationship here. Just kind of teens being silly buggers. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and... They do a reverse. Steve says, "Well, why don't we do the reverse race?" Kind yeah. of looks in the. Rear I could beat view you mirror. backwards. Yeah, it looks it... in the rear view mirror at the lights down the end of the street or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and he does the race, and of course goes past Sergeant or Lieutenant Lieutenant Dave, Dave who then pulls him over. And I, li- I liked. I did like how Steve McQueen 
interacts with Dave here. Oh, yeah. There's a real sort of um, kitty suddenly performance that he brings out. Like he he almost puts on a bit of a like like he is a child. Like yeah, he's, he's a child behind the car. Like. <sighs> It's it's hard to put your fingers on it, but this gets this a bit is goofy a, and sort of yeah, nervous, nervous and, and goofiness and childlike, mm. and he tries to kind of crack a really silly joke and um, yeah, I found it, I found that scene an interesting acting scene. Like I thought it was a different delivery. Um, it is interesting, but isn't it because Jane like says nothing? She's not addressed by the police officer. Yes. I think there was a bit of gender nineteen fifties gender. She just sits there going and waiting on, for it to finish. Waiting for it. I'm just here to sort of look pretty, kind of thing. Mm. Um, but not the policeman doesn't even look at her, doesn't blame her, doesn't talk to her. Like it's the whole sort of example. Um, personally, I think it might be interesting to throw in there if the police... Because so many of these 50s, it's like <clears throat> the police officers are really just nice and Dave ends up being... There's a reason the way Dave's a bit of a supporter. But I did think it would be interesting from a writing point of view if, if that police officer was like just a really nasty police officer. Like he like whacked the bottom of the car with his stick. He got Steve to get out, you know. It could have been. But like it's just a little bit like bringing modern day policing but in the 50s yeah, if that like makes sense that would be really interesting standing off hand on the gun yeah. get out of the car <laughs> yeah, yeah. keep your hands where i can see them yeah like still yeah. have it look like the 1950s but just bringing in modern day policing would mm. be quite interesting so yeah but anyway it's not the point of the blob but yeah. no it's also a small it's it's small reinforcing town. the small town yeah. is where he knows they the know police all, uh, lieutenant yeah. and yeah. the lieutenant knows you know who Steve is because mm. he knows his dad. His dad owns a local store. Yeah, yeah. They know each other and they all know. And, you know, so he lets him go this time uh, and with a warning sort of thing and the mates, they kind of catch up to the mates. And what I liked there was because it had been rivalry between those mates. So it was like, oh, what did you say? Did you get in trouble, Dave? Yeah, well, yeah, hey, what's oh, it was only da- we're told it was Dave, not Bert. Bert would have, like, given you a fine or whatever. Ah, uh, yeah. And then they tell um, a funny story about how they caught pushed. Bert out in a prank that they, yeah. were, they were pulling. So it made it, yeah, uh, that was quite a funny story. Yeah. It's, it's, that would be quite funny. Yeah. And I can see why Bert would be a bit annoyed by being caught out like that. But And I think the whole point of that was teenage shenanigans. Like they were all teenagers just being shenanigans, you know. Yeah, so they, they didn't Steve, have a serious life. They'd done the race, which was against the law. Police pulled over. Steve's kind of tried to play some sort of weird childish, foolish Gambino kind of style mm. thing, got away with it. And then they're like, oh, you got away with it. They're like, ha, ha, ha. You know, like we got away with pushing the law. But that, I mean, it's not like they've done anything super bad either. No, you know? no. Like, they weren't even speeding. And then to show sure. that they're good, they've, they, they're following up by, oh, well, the docs told us to go and investigate and they go investigate. You know, if they're yeah. real vagrants, they'd oh. be like, oh, no, screw you, doc. Let's steal doc's car and take off and go burn this old man's shit. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I suppose like, it depends on how delinquent these guys yeah, yeah, get. Yeah. You know, like, but they don't. They don't. They actually literally, oh, yeah, let's go looking. Uh, well, for... they, they do mention they want to go to the spook show. The spook show, yeah. yeah. Oh, you can do that later. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah all right. Yeah, all right. Sure. Let's go let's... to the middle of the bush. That'd be weird. Could you, I, I couldn't imagine the doctor telling me to go check out what happened. Oh, I need to know what happened. I'm like, what, back out there? That's kind of not my job. You know, like, I brought the guy down here as a fake. This is why I don't help people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I brought him down here for medical help, and now, yeah. like, how? 
But I guess, like on. you just said, small town. Small town. You know like, it. we don't have the resources. Just go check out. You know, you might have a family member that's also sick, been infected by another bit of the blob, you know? Yeah, anyway, so it, they go on up there and they, they do a bit of a search around. They get the dog. And of course, Jane loves the dog and it's a cute, adorable little dog. And they find the cracked open meteor, which they sort of pick up, which I don't know that I'd be picking up. It'd probably burn you to death. But <laughs> they mentioned it was hot, but it was, yeah. it was okay. And they, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, was that, it was that kind of acting, you know. <laughs> uh, a bit, a bit you of like this? It's from space. <laughs> hot potato, hot potato, hot potato. Yeah, and, and they, do, they don't find out much more except they go, well, this must have been where this thing came from. Yeah. Uh, which I suppose as a storyline, as part of the narrative, it was necessary for them to go up there and see that this was from outer space. Mm. So this is not a normal thing. It's no, no ordinary explanation is going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. And so when they, they do come across, when he sees the doc, you know, fall down in his house, he's already thinking, okay, this is for something more serious. Yeah. Had they not gone up there, had we not, introduced the fact that this was from outer space, then the characters could have easily dismissed, you know, the doc's fallen over. Oh, okay. I'll, you know, go in and have a look and, oh, no, I can't see him. Oh, okay, just not a problem. So I think that's what we got out of this is we also got his friends along so that later on we could get some help. Yeah. Because, again, had they not been up there to see an asteroid come down... Then you're trying to convince them there's a monster. They'd be like the cops. Be like, yeah. What what you're talking about? Whereas they kind of get there's some sort of mystery here. Yeah. And and to me that's where we get this. It's it's here that it, there's a bit of a break into two because yeah they know okay well we've picked up this random old guy he's got something on his hand it's come from the meteor mm. it's alien of some form this is serious yeah. you know like and so now it's like. What and again, I think here this is where characters could decide. Steve could decide. Well, let's get the hell away from this. Like, mm. let's run away from it or run to it. And so it's running to like he wants to help. So yeah, we've, it's we'll go back to the dock and tell him this information. Yeah. And so from there, to me, this is an act too. So then, back at the dock, this is really great with that with that time going. His nurse rocks up and he he thanks her for coming in. You know, over time, <laughs> she I presume is. Saturday night or Friday night, she was probably on the wines by now. Uh, if wine was like that back they, in the fifties, I don't think the they did. They wine didn't, didn't, didn't exist. Then, right? no, probably on the beers, gin. Um, <laughs> uh, and anyway, so she she goes go check on the patient, and um, he does warn her like, "Don't this thing is attached to him. Don't touch it." So it's a nice little you know warning reminder. And of course, she comes to the bed, and we see that the shot kind of reveals there's no human on the bed no no and very rapidly you know she tells the doc and he's like what and they looks and suddenly this blob is not little it's probably now the size of a beanbag something like that and it's on the floor and it's kind of rock you know like rocking that, and was it john Carpenter's dark star yeah yeah was a beanbag <laughs> <laughs> well it did say that the one of the things they used for this was a weather balloon um, oh. So I don't oh, know if that's that was... a tie-in back to the explanation for UFOs. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they used balloons and weather. Weather. I don't know if the weather balloon was maybe when it was a little bit bigger, but um, yeah. Anyway, they used the balloons and then they used clay and slime things. But um, to me, when I saw this, I sort of thought, oh yeah, that might be a weather balloon. I don't know. It kind of was 
about the size of a beanbag. And it kind of moves a bit, you know, rocks, moves around a little bit. The nurse screams and all that. And I like it, you know, like you said, the doctor's like, right, get the hydrochloric uh, acid. Yes. <laughs> and she knows where it is. She grabs it and he's keeping her calm. He's like, just throw it on it. Don't get it on your skin. And uh, throws it and the blob just absorbs it. Yeah, There's it nothing. doesn't. It doesn't care. No, it probably makes and him feel quite reason, good. Yeah, and then it well, it gets grumpy and it eats the nurse. <laughs> and this frightens Doc, and the Doc goes, "I'm going to get my gun," which I'm thinking, "Well, I'm not sure what your gun's going to do to no. a blob, but sure." Why well, not? I think I think you would reach and for the gun. Why does this doctor have a gun rack on his wall, <laughs> unsecured? So the US, it's the 1950s. Yeah, I, I think I, the Doc should have. He's it. got a couple of shotguns just on his office wall. I mean, nicely they're not loaded. He did have to go into the cupboard to get the the gun. Ball. I think it was reasonable. The that gun he balls had it. is that what they call? <laughs> We're in Australia. We don't know what bullets are. No, oh, we bullets. Don't. That's what they are. Yeah, yeah. And then we sort of Steve and that rock back. So they yeah, Steve and Jane come back mm. to the dock, and the house is in darkness. It's all dark. Yeah, and we know, you know, that he's just been tussling with the uh, blob. And that, you know, so it probably hasn't resulted very well. Steve kind of knocks on the door. Eh, no one answers. They do say, oh, maybe he's taken the patient to a hospital, which yeah. makes sense. Let's check on his car. Steve goes around the back and he suddenly sees the doctor up against the office window. And then it's really done, again, this is what I mean by aliens, very similar. Yeah. Good horror films. You only see a quick flash and it kind of looks like he's being ripped away from the window. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty... You don't really know what's going distinct. on. Yeah, he's, yeah. It's, he's struggling though. You yeah. know that. He's put, yeah. He drags the the blinds down with him yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. And so Steve runs back and, you know, oh, we've got to go to the police. or will tell the police because Doc's been killed kind of thing. And, and this, is a, this has become a staple in mm. horror films, like teen horror films particular if you look at the more um psychological horror and thriller monster films even that are aimed at older audiences they generally don't have this scene as much where it's like quick tell the police and you know tell the authorities the authorities will save us and they authorities never save you (laughs) like they don't they're like that sort of part of the horror of the horror film is this breakdown of social norms mm. you, you believe that um if someone was trying to break into my house i would call the police and hopefully they'd get here in time and they'd either capture the the, the perpetrator or scare them off at the very least scare them off as the police car comes up they go we've got to get out of here yeah and so you'd be safe so it's, it's a it's a not unreasonable tactic to take mm. but when you've got an alien blob monster that absorbs people you call the police and they can't do jack mm. And that, that sort of heightens that feeling of unease mm. because you go, well, that was sort of the expected thing. You know, like, what do we do now? What's our next step? How do we yeah. escalate this? And he, he does. He calls Dave. Luckily, he gets Dave and not Bert. And we get this. There's that third character in there who, who doesn't seem to play much of a role in this film. I find <laughs> that a bit odd because we've been introduced to the fact that he plays chess. Yeah, chess. And so I'm boring. thinking, oh, he's going to be the smart one. He's going to have a smart... He's going to say, well, in chess, you know, he's got us, you know, in check. We've got to make a smart move now or it's going to be game over. You know, like Checkmate. some sort of playing on words or something like that yeah. where his, um, you know, chess playing actually play- – his chess playing had nothing to do 
with this, except maybe it showed that he wasn't he wasn't a very active police officer. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, maybe it was just showing the laziness of or or the remoteness of the town mm. a little bit. You know, the, yeah, like the fact that there's not it, really normally, during the night shift you just kind of play not, chess. Yeah, there's not really much to do. Maybe mm. that was the point. But yeah, there was a lot about that character with not much development yeah. from there. Yeah, so they do. Dave does come down to check on yeah, the doctor. They, they, do, they do come check it out, um, and they sort of discover the house. Dave's a bit suspicious, and is it Bert as the other cop? Or yeah, is it, yeah, Bert. He's, he's continually Jim sort of Bert. saying, "He's yeah, this is a prank. They're trying to prank us because yeah, because of my war record." It's like well, we don't care about your war record, mate. I don't understand what that is. Did you have a bad war record? I don't get it. Yeah. But, Anyway, so they, they kind of scope out and they find that the office is a bit trashed and they, they put it down to probably vandals and mm. it was locked from the inside. There's no body. Oh, isn't that a great horror thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, it was locked from the inside. Yeah, and then you know, and then he has to smash the window to get in. So it's like, but then there's, there's no body. Yeah. So it's like, well, what's happened here? You know, it's only vandalism. And but Dave wants to follow it up. Dave seems yeah, he, he's well, kind of I think of, there was enough there to, to be suspicious, but yeah. he's he's figuring it can wait till the morning. That's right. Like it's it's, it's late at night. We don't need doctor's to doctor's not as far as they know, because old Mrs. Pepper Potts or whatever her name comes in and, <laughs> and sits there and just totally discredits everything yeah. the youngsters say. Just like, touching everything as well. She's going, no, no, no. He's just gone off on his like two day sabbatical <laughs> con- medical conference, which everyone goes to conferences in American movies and things. There's constantly sales conferences and things. How many movies are there based around someone going to a conference? Mm. Uh, I've been to one conference in my life and, and, and one film festival. Mm. No, I've been to several <laughs> film festivals, but. Uh, yeah, she basically trashes their story yeah. and, and gives this really plausible thing where, I oh, know it would have been vandals, you know, the, the kids came in here, mess this up, the doctor's gone. And, yeah, Dave is still kind of, uh, we can figure this out in the morning. Like, let's just go have a good night's sleep and worry about it later. The dads are called down. Oh, the dads. To pick and the, to and pick don't up. they look like dads? They look like dads. Mm. I, I, you and I don't really look like those guys. No, but we haven't been through a, a world war, so <laughs> I suspect they had a harder life. Yeah, they, I think they had. They looked like dads and, you know, the Jane's dad was not impressed that she was, uh, my daughter's down at the police station. Well, he's the done. school principal. Yeah, so he was not impressed. And um, and Steve tries to plead a little bit with his dad that, you know, I'm telling the truth, I saw well, this. Well, I think Steve's dad's a little bit cooler. Yeah, and Steve's dad says, well, look, Dave, the thing is he doesn't normally lie. And, I mean, yeah. as a parent we know this, like you do – your children do go through phases that maybe they're a bit into lying and then they're not. Mm. Um, so, I mean, at Steve's age, <laughs> he shouldn't be lying. But, you know, if he's a teenager, supposedly a teenager, it's like, yeah, you know, if he doesn't, he's not, we know as well as as the audience that he's not a liar. That's the whole point. Mm. And so the dads would be like, eh, and Dave's like, well, look, let's just come back to it in the morning, you know, guys, come on. Yeah, so they send, they send the kids home, basically. Yeah. And, um, of course, the, the friends have all gone to the midnight spook mm. show screening. Yeah. And so Jane and um, Steve. Steve head off home and Jane immediately pops out of bed and comes down and, and her little brother, D- Davey. Little Davey. A little another Dave. Yeah, it's like these these great names, you know. Classic. Um, yeah, really sort of 57 names, I suppose. Mm. Uh who wants to 
guard her. And he talks like a little boy. <laughs> we all know little boys talk like this. Oh, they do. That's a bit um, creepy, actually. You yeah, know I don't, that very well. Yeah, I don't know. Well, funny enough, my son's going through a phase where he has his tendency of putting this little baby voice on. All uh, right. And it's like, I think it's kind of like an in thing with his his one of his friends. Mm. He and his friend, uh, one of them, they, they sort of do these little characters, right. if you like. It's just one of the things he does. But anyway, <laughs> he and and she says, no, no, you got to guard your, guard mum and dad. And I'll, I'll bring you back a puppy. Just <laughs> mum and dad would go, you brought a puppy? Yeah. What the hell, man? You could have promised him a lollipop. He yeah. would have done the same thing. <laughs> you, you want to just, you know, you're making pancakes in yeah, the morning. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, whatever. So she runs off and immediately we get Steve, likewise, sneaks out. Mm. And they bump into each other downstairs, which is really yeah, quite cute that they're both concerned and interested. And they open up the garage and... They, their cars are really tightly packed in. So I thought tightly packed garages was a relatively modern thing, but it mm. turns out, no. Like, no, it's been around for a while. So we've got to do, I've got to do that whole thing where I sneak past the, the, the handlebar of the bike and I've I got to suck my guts in and kind of push it a little bit extra to scoot past uh, to get to my door. And, the, and if the bikes aren't arranged just such a right way, I can't open my car door. <laughs> and then, of course, on the other side of the car is the, the other car, and there's just so many little dings on that yeah. on that car door. It's like, oh, kids, I've just given up. It's not worth yeah, it. It's, it's not worth it's it. It's not that good a car anyway. It's not like it's a BMW or something. It's mm. a, I'm the same. I've it, given up on the dings. I think that was like the first couple of years. It's like, oh, no, stop. Now it's just like. Yeah, it's just like, oh, it's, it's not, another one adds character. It doesn't cause that much problem. But they, they, and they, who knows, a blob might swallow it one day. Yeah, and they, <laughs> they roll the car out yeah. and jump Get in. Get it rolling. Uh, and then they... they Debate what they're going to do, really? Yeah, and to me, this is the this is the midpoint because, um, and they're they're kind of because Steve's like, well, no one really believes me. No, um, what you know, what should we do? We we the logical answer is go to the police, go to the authorities, but they don't believe us. You know, no, our parents don't believe us. Mm. Um, and Steve even starts questioning himself. He whether, does. He starts questioning did, himself. Did I? You know, what did you see? And he's like, I'm not really mm. sure. You yeah. know, like I, I like that. I, to me, this is the midpoint. Jane makes him retell all the things that he's experienced. Yeah, and he goes through it all, and he does. He, get, he even like questions the fact that well. The doctor was definitely distressed and, you know, he pulled the blinds down, but uh, I didn't see what happened to him, you know, but he was there, but then he wasn't there, you know. Mm. So, um, but Jane supports him, she's, you know, and, and actually prompts him and says, well, you know, if, if you don't have any, if we don't have any logical support, um, where can we get support? And he's like, oh, you know, the boys, the boys. The boys. The, the, the spooks. Uh <laughs> The spook show, um, the midnight spooks. And, but they, but uh, they drive past and find the doggy. Yeah, well, well, no, but in they do that first, and uh, and to me that's the midpoint because yes, it's okay. that it's that point of, you know, no one's going to help us. Oh, but hang on, who would help us? Oh, the boys. The okay, boys, well, yeah. let's go get the boys. Let's gather a bit of a team and and reconsider this. And then on the way, that's when they notice the dog at the department store. Yeah, and they go in and and they get trapped. Uh, and we don't notice it at the time because we think it's the dog that distracted the blob. Mm. But it's trying to get into the meat locker. And, in fact, I think the remake has very much the Pretty same sure does, scene yeah, where they're in the yeah. meat locker. Yeah. Um, there's there's a few newer scenes and it's a little bit, as you said, 
they've they've cranked up the the gore and violence just mm. a little bit. Like there's a great scene in the remake where the guy sees gurgling in the plug. Yeah. This this turned my stomach a bit as a yeah. as a kid watching this. And he sees this this blob just shoots out, <laughs> grabs him, and then pulls him through. Like it, yeah. it's a little plug. What that must yeah. be about five, eight, ten centimeters across yeah. at best, and. You know, your head's not yeah, going to normally no. pass through that unless it gets crushed and dissolved yeah. by a... It's quite horrifying. Yeah, it around. was horrifying. It's good. But, <laughs> yeah, they do go to the spook show. And, of course, that's where we do get... Uh, yeah, they convince them to come out. But we we know now that the, the blob is in the back as well because, like, they get them to leave, mm. but we see the projectionist is walking yes. around and that's that's where the blob is. So we see that and then it cuts to... They they decide to warn everyone and, warn and everyone. get everyone involved. And there is a couple of funny moments in this. They, there's one couple go to the to a rich person's party house, <laughs> and yes. they kind of joke about it. Uh, they also two of the guys in the bush come across like a couple making out, and it's just like, Ugh. you know, this is interesting because in modern day you would have said that. So there were, there were a couple, a guy and a girl went to the party. And they were obviously high. Yeah. But then it's two guys, two guys. without girlfriends yes. going off together. And you're going, that's a bit of gay coding, isn't yeah, it? Like yeah. <laughs> in 57, was that the case? Mm. Or is this my modern interpretation where yeah, well, those two, two guys two didn't sweet have looking girls. boys without yeah. girls, they're off together mm. and it's the couples who are off together. Yeah. And they go and they, they reveal like a, they all go a, a guy and a girl kissing. And these two guys are sort of like, ah, oh, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. You know, perhaps you're not. Yeah. I, you I don't nothing know. to worry about here. We don't even enjoy the opposite sex. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that it's probably most likely my modern interpretation of yeah. the scene. Yeah. And it's probably more like just, well, you know. And I think it's. It's fortunate and unfortunate, yeah. Because it's 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 good in that I'm considering, uh, you know, same sex relationships. But it's also unfortunate that you sort of lose this ability for there to be in films just two people, it's two friends, of either All gender. Right. Who, they're just good friends. Yeah. There's there's nothing more to either male females who just happen to be good friends, yeah. or two men or two women who are good friends. And nowadays, there's always got to be some sort of a coupling. But anyway. It does. We go forward in time and they are trying to convince the town. So they make this big ruckus, oh, yeah, horns. I, I don't know whether they got the siren. siren. I don't where know where they got the air raid siren. The dude comes um, out and he puts his helmet on. He says, it's an air raid. Yeah. I'm going to have to get my helmet on. And yeah. a civil oh, defence. And then the fire engine is, oh, hang on. Because he's also a fire, fire marshal warden. or something. <laughs> so he pulls out and goes, I don't know which one to wear. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, they, they, the town conveys and, and Steve tries to convince them and they're not convinced and Bert's bloody pissed off, I tell you what. He's, oh, yeah, he's yeah. not happy. He's not impressed with these teenagers. The fire department rock up. They're not very impressed. <laughs> and then are. Dave. Uh, the fire department. Fire is a kind of like. They're a bit weird. The, not to mention the fact that there's a, uh, a fire burst, you know, breaks out. And yeah. Like, How are we going to deal with that? I don't know. <laughs> How, how, it's how only going to last about 10 minutes, Starry. <laughs> it's like this fireman asks the policeman how to put it out. You're, like, you, you're the expert, mate. Mate, I'm just an actor in a fireman's uniform. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, no, that's... that's. I'm not a fireman, but I played one in a movie. The, the fireman 
did seem a bit... <laughs> you could almost imagine The Simpsons or something, couldn't you? They, they just were very... Um, they were formed. They were cash. Yeah, very casual about everything. But anyway, Dave, Steve kind of is trying to do his thing. And Dave does step forward and goes, you know what? Yeah. And I think Steve, doesn't Steve say something like, you know, look, am I terrified or am I yeah, do laughing? I look- you know, like, you know, and Dave kind of takes that as the sign. Okay, well, yep. Let's, everyone else go home. He sends everyone else home. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Fireys, turn on your lights. Let's have a look inside the, um, you know, inside the department store. And with that, what's his name? The police. Uh, and this uh, is kind of sergeant. A bit of, this is kind of a bit of the bad guys closing yeah, in, really, yeah, isn't it? Because it is. it's like, yeah. So everyone's come to you know uh, witness this, and this is sort of a a moment that'll make or break. That's right. And, and of course, Jim lights up the place inside. He's already gone through the place, yeah. and he's like, nothing in here, boys. Nothing. This guy is a bloody still. Or, or look, all through there is nothing. Is nah. Except <laughs> and, uh, I noticed all the Winnie Blues are gone out of the uh, right. smokes case. And, you know, back in the war, <laughs> us boys, you know, you're whinging about a little monster. You know, this is the thing I said earlier tonight. Like, you know, this I think this is where he says we deal with real monsters. Yeah. And uh, and I said there was that other line with the barman uh, a little bit earlier than this where, oh, you know, there's plenty of monsters in here normally, you know. Mm. So the monsters are humans you know we we don't worry about whatever the hell you're trying to prank us as a teenager you know um you're wasting everyone's time sort of thing is jim's thing and then what's great here is that sort of turnaround is that as we knew uh, the audience a bit hitchcocking is, is that mm. we we knew the blob wasn't in the department store which would make steve's plan fail yeah but we knew it was with the projectionist at the same time we knew at some time the truth was going to reveal itself, and and that's what happens. You know, we we kind of cut back to the cinema, and I like this little. There's a little nod here of the projectionist. You know, you'd imagine a projectionist should be really into films, and he's reading a book. Yeah, he's reading a book. He's not and paying I think attention like, at all. Again, if you go back to the fifties, you know, cinema was a growing medium. Uh, books were the purest. You know, it's kind mm. of like now the, the other. You know, we've got. You might be into films and not into streaming, you know, like it's the purest kind yeah, of Yes, so you've got the laser disc edition. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so so the projectionist, of course, is reading a book and he gets squished and I love how then the blob came out of those little projection windows. Yeah. And, and you know, like everyone's laughing and scared of the movie that's going on, the spooky thing. And you just see it oozing through those like three or four uh, windows. And, then, and everyone looks at the screen and goes, oh, what? What's going on it, here? Yeah, because then you can just sort of see the the blob being projected on the yeah. screen. <laughs> yeah. uh, and with that, they all come running and screaming and out of the building. So, um, and I think this is one of the scenes um, used to promote the blob. Yeah, probably. And, and I I do like the you know the meta uh, use of a cinema that's showing a horror film mm. where everyone inside is in danger. Yeah. And being, you know, having to come screaming out. Because you could imagine if you're sitting in a cinema watching this film, you know, maybe that's that's giving you a bit of connection. You know, you're feeling, yeah. oh, hang on, we're in a cinema watching a horror film. And and again, how many sort of horror films do that where they show you the films that are being screened at a f- cinema? Yes. You know? and, and even Stranger Things did it, you know. Um, so the, you know, it's such a, like a trope again, I don't know if this is the, like the blob might've been even replicating that off a different movie, but mm. 
small town cinema and they write up, you know, there's a homage to another horror film or something that we might be connecting this story to, you know. Um, So, yeah, they all come running, trampling, screaming out. I think it's a pretty creepy scene. Uh, And then now this is where the... Dave and Jim see this crowd running and screaming, mm. so they, they have to take it serious. Dave runs in first. I, I liked that there was such a scramble here that even the cops found it hard to get past the crowd. Yeah. Like they, they, they really were diving through that crowd. Um, and Dave goes in and just bang, bang, fires off the shotgun a few times and comes back out and he says to Jim, you don't want to go in there. Like, yeah. it's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. And... I think also the point is like you you said earlier with the doctor firing his gun, it's like, yeah, but that's what these guys would try first up well, because a if, gun takes things down. If you're carrying like, a gun and it's there, you might as well give it a shot. Why not? Yeah, and, and But I think it's just, you know, it's like if it was a wild bear, they would just shoot it and it would take it down, you know, or an elephant. Or, like, So it's just the natural thing. You know, I don't own a gun. I've never fired a gun, but I think that would be the natural thing. If you saw this monster, you would go, well... Yeah, bullets kill it's, things. It's worth a shot. I worth mean, why shot, not? Because yeah. you never know. What if it did work? That's right. What if it did stop and you go, oh, oh okay, that's not and so bad. So now the blob is like the size of a cinema, I suppose, because yeah, it's, it's, it's been rolling. I assume it's been and, eating a few people. It ate yeah. the mechanic. Yeah. And, and again, the mechanic got punished. Yeah, he did. Because he, he was yeah. going to go up and have a roaring <laughs> time. He, he made particular point of how blind <laughs> drunk he was going to get. I liked it. I liked the I, I, I was like, I mean, I've heard people sort of say, oh, yeah, it's going to have a, it's going a to be a, a wild night. It's going to be a yeah, real bender or whatever. Usually people are kind of not being quite so descriptive. But <laughs> in this one, he, he makes very particular point and yeah. how very outrageously <laughs> drunk he was going to get. And then his buddy, who's a little bit simpler, says, no, I'm just going back to my wife. Yeah. He says, oh, you're weak, you know, you're soft. <laughs> or the 1957 is equivalent of that, you know. And that guy leaves and, of course, it's the mechanic who's, you know, um, being a little bit too outrageous, who gets consumed, and that's that's also a of a horror trope. You know, the legs poking out from under the car. Yeah, oh yeah. And yeah. then something and happens, and he, and he he waggles his legs in pain, and mm. goes, "Whoa!" We don't see what happens, but it's pretty <laughs> he bad. He didn't get his blinder. That's what I was thinking. Oh, poor poor guy. Um, anyway, so th- this means that Steve is vindicated, and um, you know, he was telling the truth, and mm. now it's the planning. How we? How do we actually? You know, what's great now, if you think about, it, is that. Okay, bullets don't kill it. Uh, Hydrochloric acid doesn't kill it. Mm. It's growing. Every time it eats someone, it grows bigger and gets stronger and harder to pull down. Um, And so it kind of is this massive thing now. People are screaming and yelling and Dave tries to get people off the street. Um, Jane realises her brother, little brother, is in the diner. Yeah, he comes literally. running out and fires his fake little western gun at the cat blob. Gun at him. Yeah, and runs back into the diner. So Jane runs into the diner. Steve, Steve runs, runs into in the, the diner, diner, and of course the blob runs into the run, diner. Runs into the diner. That's right. So um, and they're all stuck in the diner, and so this to me is like really break into three this and the finale. Three, yeah. You know, like so, this is Act Three that now because you even villain has got the you leg get the up. planning, don't you? They go yeah. okay. We'll drop that power line yep. on there. Yeah. And so we'll give you a count of 60 seconds. Yeah, run to the basement. So they they go to the basement um, and this is where Jim, uh, even though he's been a cranky pants this whole time. I guess, We've been calling him Bert. Bert? 
Yeah, Bert. Sorry, Bert. Um, okay, good. He, I thought I thought yeah, we'd just been know. using the wrong name. No, there, it's Jim Bert. That's why. Yeah, but Bert is yeah. He takes fire and he's Dave says you know take a good shot at the power line and he does because um, of his war history. Because of the war history, he's good, good, good on the rifle or whatever. Or maybe he's got massive PTSD from being a sniper. <laughs> That's right. Who's that movie Sniper? I don't know if you ever seen American that, Sniper. Yeah. The, oh yeah. That's how he, terrible. Uh, has all the um, yeah the kills or whatever. But um, yeah, so he takes the shot. Electricity comes down. No, nah. isn't that a great bit of animation? That's too? a great bit of animation. Yeah, the the blob sort of lights up a little bit. Yeah, but again, just sort of absorbs it. And uh, doesn't. It does. And so this is the reversal, and isn't it? This is like the, well, okay, we've got a plan. Here's how we're going to defeat the blob. And then they execute the plan, but it doesn't work out. Well, that is normal, right? Like it's, it, that's you, the first fail. Yeah, you can't have it work out the first yeah. time. Because could you imagine how boring this film would have been had it gone and then the blob dissolved and fell down? And they'd be like, oh, phew, well, that was okay. Then. The bacon, fried, fried bacon. Yeah. And the other problem, of course, is. It was not Steve who yeah. did this, or Jane. It was, it, Dave. was it was just Dave, like the cops who didn't believe him in the first yeah. place. So, you know, they're inside. Um, they've, the plan has failed. Steve uh, and uh, with the diner guy and Jane and the you know, they, there's no way out. They're trapped, so it's great, mm. you know, like they're trapped, and the blob starts closing in on them. Yeah, so, oh, yes, know, it's coming down the squeezing steps, through the doorways, squeezing yeah. through, and we have there's a really great one inside the diner. We see like all the windows, and it like comes through all the windows. Oh yeah, and that was great. I thought that was really cool because it's kind of like coming through like a grater almost, mm. and so showing you that there's no stopping, and it's coming down the steps, um, and th- that's where the fire starts, right? Like there's a yeah. fi- there's a fire and. And I'm, what are you going to put out in the fire? It's got 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it would take care of itself. Yeah, there wouldn't be more than 10 minutes of air yeah. in there. It's like, well, that's kind of a long time yeah, if you've ever been right. in a fire. Yeah, it's a slow death for <laughs> I, those people. I, I think all the people who have ever been in a fire have would tell you that 10 minutes, 10 minutes is, is a long time. Yeah, it's sufficient. Uh, anyway, so the diner guy grabs the um, fire extinguisher. A CO2 CO2 fire extinguisher, you know, sprays it. And Steve notices the blob retreats a little. The blob, the blob retreats a little. <clears throat> and he, he thinks about how back in the freezer the blob retreated. And so yeah. he's like, oh, it's cold, it's cold. Uh, so he yells out to Dave who gets the message. And he's like, you know, get some CO2 or get some cold, whatever. Uh, so Dave puts everyone into action. You know, the teenagers run off to the school. They well, get all the yeah, fire see, that's extinguishers. The interesting thing is because Dave and the fire is the authorities. Mm. They've got a couple of extinguishers. Yeah, which is but normal. Then, but then we get the turnaround of the principal who has been a bit, you know, stuffy and proper and he takes all of the kids and the kids all raid the school yeah. and come out with his extinguishers and it's all the kids pushing forward who mm. save the, the day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd, and that – and no doubt – if I was watching this film as a teenager in the 50s, mm. having watched some of these other films where it's the authorities mm. who save the day and then you've just got like all these, these kids running rampant and saving the day and people didn't take them seriously and now they've been taken seriously, yeah, I would be feeling pretty good. Yeah, that's right. It's a good sort of morale boost, right? Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so they get in, they just constantly they start spraying the crap out of the blob and... Yeah, it works. It retreats and retreats. Um, 
Dave gets on the phone Dave to the military. The, yeah, to the president, I think, or whatever, and, and they, um, asks for a... They, they do say a bomb. <laughs> Let's do a bomb. Yes. He goes, no, oh, you'll end up with it everywhere over the country, and you've got to take it somewhere really cold, and so... Like the know, Arctic. Arctic. <laughs> so they come and lift it, and you just get this then... Um, oh, yeah, and then so they lift it out, you know, mm. kind of thing. Again, it's kind of jumped over a little bit. But Steve's okay, Jane's okay, um... Little Dave's okay. The parents reunite. Mm. Um, so, you know, the town is saved. Steve is vindicated. The truth was there. And then the final shot is of them dumping the blob or, blob or the or package of the blob into yeah. Antarctica or whatever. And, um, you know, so they're dropping it. It's freezing cold. And then there's just the nice big question mark. Well, it's also, of course, I love the fact that at the time it wouldn't have been important. But I think, you know, Dave or someone says, oh, it'll be safe up there so long as the Arctic doesn't melt. <laughs> and that's, Global warming. And, yeah, of course, in 57, I don't think they were really thinking too much about no. that. It wasn't until the 80s that yeah. um, people really started thinking about global warming. Um, and then obviously it's become quite prominent now. People are going, oh, hmm, maybe we should have done something about this back in the 50s. Built more nuclear reactors, for example, may have been a good idea at the time. You know, yeah. if they're building them, yeah. But yeah, it's it does just drop it into the Arctic, and that's doesn't kill it. They they haven't resolved it, and that's no. why that question mark. It's that real horror movie ending where it's like, it's resolved for now. Mm. You know, it's um yeah Nightmare on Elm Street, of course, uh, has the car drive off with Freddy's jumper pattern on the roof yeah, or whatever it is yeah, yeah. and there's uh, any number of other similar horror movies where there's like the mask is missing mm. you know someone say who's taking the mask you know is Jason back or is someone else yeah. doing it yeah that's, that's right good. that's awesome really awesome nice tight ending as tight film so many you know modern day horror tropes cool special effects Interesting casting, I think, and uh, yeah, an all-round great classic science fiction film to look mm. at. So we have our ladder. We put things on the ladder um, where we like to kind of sit with all the films that we've been reviewing th- so far, and then we like to kind of maybe put them in with uh, other ones. So in this one being a classic, we're just kind of comparing it to some of the other classics and a bit of a suggestion of where you might want to watch this film with some other films. Um, So for me, I think it's kind of a pretty obvious one that, as I said, I think Alien, the Alien and this are quite similar. So I think if you wanted to actually watch them back to back, that would be a really kind of uh, educational experience for someone that maybe wants to be a writer or you just want to see some of the similarities. Am I right? Are there a lot of similarities? I think there is in the structure. Um, and in the maybe the storytelling of believing the truth of the creature, um, so maybe see how many, watch those two films and see how many similarities. And then I did also think Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I just think if you put those three films together, yeah. and you watch them as a trilogy, either over a night, a Friday night with a big bag of popcorn, or over the course of a weekend, I think you'd see sort of some real elements of that early sci-fi horror filmmaking. So that's my advice. What about you, sorry? Well, I was thinking I was thinking more of the, the teenage element yeah, here because I was for sure. I was looking at uh, Akira, yep. for example, 
which is all about the the teens and the authorities have kind of created this Akira monster situation. Yeah, that's true. And it was sort of up to um, Kaneda and you know his teenageness <laughs> to overcome that. Mm. Uh, and Akira, I suppose, speaks with um, Tetsuo and, and convinces him to de-blob. <laughs> there's sort of a blob there's thing a blob there, isn't thing, it? Where, isn't where, it? Yeah. where there's um, Tetsuo just sort of starts expanding and, and sucking everything in there. The other part of that, of course, I think was the invasion of the body snatches. I'd like that. It's not a teenage thing, mm. but you'd watch that one first. Yeah. Because it's it was chronologically earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it sets you up to see the distinction then between that and the blob. And the blob was in colour as well, which is far more titillating. <laughs> because the blob becomes, you know, brilliant red, mm. which is, you know, as it's sucking up people and getting their blood into it. Mm. Uh, you, you get a, a good contrast from Invasion but uh, to the blob. And then, of course, Akira then likewise following the, the teenage element. I, mm. I like, you know, it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be, it'd be a good, good night. I think it'd be interesting with Akira because it's, um, you know, a much more gruesome, abstract mm. sci-fi horror, and that could go really well with this sort of more classic 1950s sort of horror. You know, yeah. like a sci-fi horror. So I think there would be a nice contrast. So I like, contrast. Sorry, I really like that. Yeah, I, I think so too. And it's something that. Maybe we didn't really touch on too much in here is the the camera work difference. Like so, in the blob is very set stage sort of cameras. Very there's a couple little pans. Mm. Uh, there was no uh, what you call it, you know, Michael Bayisms going on there. <laughs> right. There was no yeah. dynamic swooping of cameras, no. and the lighting was very even stage yes. lighting. You know, like it was definitely was, shot on a stage. This everyone was well lit. Could- you you almost could put this the way this was shot like it could almost be a play yes. like it could have been on a stage in a theater um, with some really cool uh, use of you know bean, small bean sets. bags yeah small sets to kind of bring us in on the action and and what I said before about the what Peter Jackson sort of does in in uh, Lord of the Rings and that 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 classic filmmaking style where you know a character is shot and there's a couple of reeds over its head and you know what's behind the door and you know those kind of like classic hollywood um uh camera work you Mm. know so there's kind of we know there's something behind the door but it's you know and the rule of thirds of you know it's just as i said this could be on a stage and you wouldn't really know the difference i don't think um but it was really great and i think to me the the major benefit or bonus in this story is just like how tight it is. Oh, yeah. It shows you how quickly you can get into a really decent story and then that cat and mouse idea works mm. really well. What also works, I've seen a lot of horrors. What I think is really interesting is that in this one, Steve, um, Steve is not believed and that's the key bit, right? Like it's just he's not believed and yeah. that's the theme and... You know, believe in the monsters, believe in the big overpowering thing. But Steve is, yeah, he's not. You know, that's at the essence of the horror here, isn't it? It's like yeah. no one believes me. No one believe, like like well, you said, don't look up. Like no one believed the. And, and in this one, it is the the youth who are not taken seriously. Yeah, and I think don't look up works because we've we've come full circle now. The youth 
has has more of a voice now. Mm. Like the internet and um, a lot of sort of protest movements over have allowed uh, an, an apparent voice. I mean, you could always argue how actually effective anyone's voice is, but youth have sort of a voice, even if it is just in the production of products and the way things are promoted. Whereas now you get a scientist. Yeah, you know, and we got it with COVID as well. A scientist says something, and there's 50 people saying, "Yeah, that's bullcrap and nonsense." And those 50 people, none of them are scientists. No, no. And but people are listening to the non-scientists, and and you can see a little head scratching going. But in the 50s, everyone believed us and trusted us. Yeah. And now we've come full circle, and so yeah, don't look up works playing off that because it used to be the kids. Going, hey, listen to us. We've got something to say, mm. and adults go, no, you've got nothing to say. And now it's now it's everyone else has got something to say, and the scientists go, well, we're holding here something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, so, what do you want to talk about that in the science of the blob, or you want to talk about blobby things and slimy uh, things? You know what and I discovered? Things, parasites. There, there is actually a phenomenon called star jelly. Ooh, it's, it's been known by a Tasty. couple of names: astral jelly, star jelly. Uh, no, the the Welsh, I apologise to the Welsh out there in the world who will be listening in and going, you've got it all wrong. There's, It's called Pudrasaur. Oh, dear, I feel that was very painful for anyone who's Welsh. Rot from the stars. So this star jelly is a gelatinous substance sometimes found on grass or even on branches of trees. And according to folklore, it is deposited on the earth during meteor showers. Is described as a greyish-white gelatin that tends to evaporate shortly after having quote-unquote fallen. So explanations uh, are many. There's even some accounts to say that the Blob film was based off an earlier 1950 account of a couple of police officers in Philadelphia Mm. who, after sightings of an asteroid, uh, meteorite... Obviously, an asteroid's not hit the Earth's atmosphere, but a meteorite landing, and they thought they'd better go investigate, and they went out to the fields, and in the fields they found sort of a slime, mm. and when they sort of prodded it with a stick, it it dissipated, and right. they couldn't find it anymore. Right. And so they tried to wow. you know, get scientists in and say, what was this slime that came from the meteorite? And it didn't come from the meteorite, obviously, because there was no crater and things, but... But there's this story, then, and the scientists kind of went, well, we can't really sort of find any real evidence of anything. Mm. Who knows? As, but it turns out this is a phenomenon that is fairly common. Right. Uh, not common, common, but it's happened quite a bit. So much so that there are names for it, like in Welsh and uh, in German and in English, of you know, this star jelly. And there's been reports of it over the centuries. So there's this guy, John of Gaddesden. Do you know mm. him? No. You never been to Gaddesden? Oh, no. God knows where that is. Ah, because it was in 1280 AD. Oh, okay. So, you know, like... <laughs> no, I haven't been there. No, a few... So he mentions Stella Terra... Uh, now my Latin. Stella Terrae, which is Latin for star of the earth or earth star. Uh, so he wrote these medical writings. And you can imagine 1280, the, the medical writings would have been imaginative. But he describes it as a certain mucilaginous substance lying upon the earth mm. and suggesting that it might be used to treat abscesses. Right. Like, but mind you, half of the things they suggested might be used to treat abscesses were probably 
best keep away from abscesses. So a 14th century Latin medical glossary has an entire uh, has an entry for uligo called a star which has fallen. Right. Similarly, an English Latin dictionary from around 1440 mm. has an entry on stera slime, which obviously means it's the Latin equivalent to the Arabic who have a term for it as well, which is ash shuhub, also used in medieval Latin as a term for a falling or shooting star. Mm. As it, yeah, so there's, there's been quite a lot. So various times people have found uh, unexplained slime substances about the place. Right. Um, there have been cases of people saying it happened in in exchange with shooting stars. Usually it's the case what happens is someone she sees a shooting star and they think maybe it must be nearby. Mm. But as a hint, if a meteorite hits the ground nearby, you know about it. It's quite noisy. Mm. But they go investigate because they're interested and they find these slime molds, mm. the, the, this slime. So some of the re- some of the explanations, ideas is there is a slime mold called Enteridium lycoperdon, which is also called <laughs> Caca de Luna, which is mm. moon's feces oh, right. by the locals in uh, Veracruz in Mexico. So that's actually a slime mold. It's a, it's a type of mold that's slimy. <laughs> and there's another theory that says the star gel is most likely formed from the glands in the oviducts of frogs and toads. Right. Uh, so birds and mammals eat the animals, but not the overducts, which when they come into contact with moisture, let me see, overducts must be the egg-laying mechanisms. I see. Uh, so when it comes in contact with moisture, they swell and distort, and they sort of leave a vast pile of jelly-like substance, sometimes also referred to as otter jelly. Mm. I don't know why it's called otter jelly. Otter unless, jelly. you know, a bear eats an otter, but not the overducts. <laughs> so in 1910, this fellow McKenny Hughes... He wrote a little piece in Nature, which is a journal, mm-hmm. uh, as to why poets and ancient writers associated meteors with star jelly and observed that the jelly seemed to grow out from among the roots of grass. Yeah. So he's saying it's not associated with falling stars. It seems to be amongst the roots of grass. Uh, so there's um, decaying wood has a fungus that grows on it called Mixarium nucle- uh, nucleatum. Uh, there's also the thought there might be spawn jelly from frogs and toads, like their eggs. Yeah. Then there's a case where the some scientists commissioned by National Geographic Society uh-huh. carried out some tests on samples found in the United States. Yeah. They failed to find DNA. So they're going, this is slime, but it is, it's not a living thing. So mm. the slime they were looking at would have been some sort of, could have been a mucosal excretion. Mm. Or it could have been a chemical compound of some sort, some yeah. sort of jelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God knows where that comes from. Who knows? <laughs> it's, it's not real. The point being is there's, there's been a lot of these cases of mysterious jellies and slimes mm. uh, somehow associated with falling stars. That sort of seems, I think it's the case that someone sees a falling star and that's why they're running around at night. Yeah. Uh, and then they come across a bit of slimy jelly stuff. And the fact there's a, a yellow slime mold which goes through part of its life cycle is it, it sort of bubbles up and then it, it flowers essentially and then it dries up in, into a powder and is washed away or, or blown away in the mm. wind. Yeah, so yeah. you'd get this sort of thing where you can't go, oh, here's this slime. Hey, I'm going to go get some guys to come have a look at it. And by the time they get back, it's kind of done its flowering business and you don't find that slime anymore. I mean, it's still there. You just yeah, yeah. It's not in the same form it used to be. 
So, and, and as I said, there was at least that one report of the police officers in Philadelphia. Mm. So I couldn't find anything where, Ye, well, what's his name? Uh, Irvin Yeewit. Oh my goodness. The the director. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you can't, this is like, um, so Irvin. neither Irving Milgate, Milgate. or uh, Irvin Yeeworth, that's his name. I couldn't find anywhere saying that, like, the best thing I got was saying that while in Philadelphia, he uh, he came across like some jelly, like star jelly. Yeah. Like it's actually a brand of Jello type yeah, stuff, right. and it was just like this big blob of raspberry jelly, basically. And he went, "Oh, wow, that kind of looks really weird. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be spooky? Yeah, if that grew and ate you. Yeah, like obviously he's just really searching for storylines because that's kind of a hard one to come across. Look, yeah, there's there's a huge list of cases and occurrences and possibilities mm. of what this jelly substance could be. But I found it interesting because I originally started looking at uh, recently they discovered the largest single bacterium. Mm. Like I said, bacteria are normally microscopic. Yeah, but yeah. this particular bacterium they found in a swamp in Guadalupe mm. is about a centimetre long and it looks like eyelashes. Right. So it's visible with a normal human eye. It's just it's like little white strands, eyelashes. And I thought, well, because yeah, bacteriums look slimy. Blobby thing. Mm. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, cool. And but there wasn't much more to say about that. And no. then there was a the largest single cell organism was an algae. Mm. It grows about four centimeters across, and it's like this green blobby thing. That's yeah, kind of right. cool. Yeah, yeah. But that's all I found about that. Mm. But while I was doing it, uh, yeah, I, I found reference to the star jelly stuff. <laughs> so that's you- that's pretty interesting. But it does go to show I, what I find interesting about these sorts of reports is. There's still kind of stuff we just don't know. No, that's right. Like it's probably all of these things. It's probably sometimes it is a bit of fungus that, mm. you know, there's a weird fungus that someone isn't used to. Sometimes it could be a bit of chuck from a animal. Yeah. He's gone, Bleh, and it's just disgusting. Yeah. Uh, it could be any number of these things and we just, you just don't know. But like it's something that has been a mystery for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just kind of, you, you don't know. It's, it's like, could it be one of these, like, it's almost like a cryptid, you know, it's almost <laughs> like Bigfoot, you know, it's just like star jelly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is there actually something that is truly mysterious or is it just like a, a bit of a, a story that has, has its own mm. legs? That idea of a slime jelly animal parasite amoeba thingy that then, you know, <laughs> Has its own brain power mm. is creepy, but isn't it? Oh, you yeah. Know, like like you a can imagine. slimy thing that actually can act. Well, if you, if you go on YouTube, you can find yourself some video footage of various slime molds. Yeah. And they sort of bubble and they they, they can move. Yeah, yeah. Like they sort of bubble and they, they, they don't move like the blob, yeah. but they do move around mm. and they, they bubble and gurgle and... Little strands lift up and out, and it's it's really quite freaky to look yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't take you know you'd be a bit freaked out by that. Yeah. Particularly if it then started to move in a purposeful manner. That's right. And then you'd be going, oh, okay, and we've entered a new realm of cre- it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like spiders. Yeah. You know, spiders are fine. They're sitting there and they're doing nothing. And huntsmen are particularly fond of doing this. Yeah. Uh, he, he, it's the type of wolf spider here in Australia for those that. Don't know. Mm. They're like the size of your hand. They're terrifying creatures. They live in Canberra a lot. 
and they are attracted to shadows. Mm. So if they're caught out in the open and they feel threatened because, you know, you've spotted them and they, they've spotted you, they, they try to run and hide in shadows because mm. they, they normally live in like rocks and yeah. tree bark. And do you know who casts a shadow? <laughs> you do. Yeah, that's right. So they come running for your feet. They're not trying to get you. They're trying to hide. Yeah. And it scares a bejesus out of you, though. It does. It does. Little huds. Because it, they're little pets. Because you, you, you start thinking that they're going to, they're, yeah. they're out to get you. Yeah. And they're big enough to feel, you feel a bit threatened by it. Yeah. yeah so you can imagine if you're going out there and you find a bit of slime mold or something, <laughs> Moving and it starts towards bubbling it. and it's, it, Appears to be moving towards you. That that would be a horror. It's moving towards your shadow, all in itself. And have as, have you out there, listeners or viewers, come across these slime bubbles? Yeah, slime molds. I mean, they're, molds. they're fascinating things. Yeah, biologies. If you have and you've watched the blob, do you think the blob is realistic? Is it a documentary? <laughs> we pause for a moment. <laughs> Maybe. Yes. Okay. And that's it. So let's talk a bit about what's coming up next episode. We do. Well, episode 91, we'll move on from it. I suppose just before we do that, uh, so we'll leave it as a teaser for the moment, is let us know what you thought about tonight's episode. Uh, If you're listening on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review or rating. Uh, Also head to our socials. Or our website and leave us some feedback or ask some questions, make a suggestion maybe about a film you'd like us to look at. And, uh, yeah, get in touch. And also, if you're making a science fiction film, think about submitting it to the Space Brains Festival. We'd love to see it and highlight all your good talents. Check out our YouTube channel. It's got some highlights from last year's festival. It does, and and some of the the speakers' content is up there already. So, yeah, go check it out. And, And, again, as I said, reach out and let us know what you think about what we're doing on Space Brains. Next episode, number 91, we're going into a time portal. Time Or a world of time. Yeah, a currency of time. We're going to watch the film in time. (laughs) In time. In time. In time we will watch it before we get down. In time is Justin Timberlake's amazing uh, science fiction acting job. Yes, it is. Has he been in another science fiction? I don't think so. He was in Trolls as a, and he's been in yeah. a couple. He's been in a couple other movies and stuff. Yeah, but, but now this this one this he's, a, this is his primary role. Uh, it's a fascinating um, concept to explore. Yeah. I have and seen gonna, this before, and I I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I look yeah, forward we're, to kind we're of seeing it again, and with the space brain eyeballs on, we'll space brain it. I'll wipe the slime away and get into some. Into the goodness. Time currency. Time currency. <laughs> Until next time. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Bye.